Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. And listeners of this podcast know that myself, my friends Dakota and Nikki are big Harry Potter fans and just big fans of movies in general. And the movie industry suffered a great loss this week with the passing of Alan Rickman. So we decided to take a few minutes for before the podcast you're about to listen to about the book review, Chamber of Secrets, to talk about the passing of Alan Rickman. Now, <clears throat> Nikki, do you remember the first time you saw him in a movie? I didn't realize I saw him in a movie uh, as early as I did because I watched Die Hard probably younger than I should have. So I didn't really know it was Alan Rickman. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he, he didn't really uh, take a, a stake in my life until the Potterverse. Um, I mean, I don't think anybody could have played Snape better. I don't think he could have played, anybody could have played someone I hated more in a way that I loved it, if that makes any sense. <laughs> and Dakota? Well, uh, the first time I ever saw Alan Rickman, I guess, was in Dying Hard as well. Um, but consciously knowing who he was, it probably was Harry Potter as Severus Snape. And uh, just from there, it's like, wow, this guy is really like he's all he's he was probably the one of the best, better actors in the Harry Potter series to be to start with. Yeah. And um, just after learning about who he was, sorry, and uh, okay. um, just going back and seeing what else he has been in. I mean, he's been in so many things and then there's other things that you just don't don't realize that he was in as well. Um, but. Yeah, no, just first instance I think was Die Hard. And uh, I think I'm going to I'm going to be the third one to that cuz I saw Die Hard when I was way too young, like so many things. <laughs> and it's one of those, it's funny cuz he's not really recognizable in Die Hard. He he looks very different with the hair that he has and the full like beard goatee thing he's got going on as compared to what you see pictures of him late where he's all clean-shaven and a kind of longish hair. And I first became, like, aware of him and just kind of recognizing him, obviously, like we said, uh, with Harry Potter as playing Severus Snape. And if you guys can choose a role that of his that he's done that will stick with you forever, what would it be? Other than... If you, if you want to exclude the two we've just mentioned, um, by all means... I don't know. If it's if it's one of those two, I'm not going to hold that against yeah. you. I mean, I mean, we had mentioned this before. Like, I didn't realize he was in as much as he was until, you know, I started looking into it. Like, I didn't realize he was the Blue Caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, you know, I love anything Disney does. So the fact that he's the voice in, you know, Tim Burton's twisted version is, that's pretty stoked, like, inciting. But... Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. I, I. I mean, it really. I think to me, it's gonna be Snape. I think it's gonna stay as in Harry Potter. Well, um, I don't think I would be doing it justice if I told told anyone that I will forever remember Alan Rickman in Galaxy Quest. He <laughs> was amazing in that movie, but by Grapthor's ham- hammer. What a savings. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think uh, obviously it's kind of really hard to go out of just thinking about all his roles. Um, it has to be Hans Gruber as the defining one. I mean, we already on this podcast we've 
quoted Hans Gruber in like Snape's like in a Snape situation. <laughs> I'm sitting on a beach collecting twenty galleons. Now I have a wand. Ho ho ho! <laughs> it's just like, and I just catch myself like quoting Hans Gruber just randomly. Like nice suit. I have three of them myself. But we can sit around and talk about men's fashion all day. I am a busy man. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Carl, hunt that little shit down. <laughs> um, and I, I do... I read about him in Time magazine. <laughs> I think if there's other than Hans Gruber and... Um, Snape, I think it's going to be him as the Metatron in Dogma, the voice of God. And it's one of those funniest moments where he, like, he en- enters the scene in a blaze of glory, literally, and gets hosed down with the fire extinguisher. What are you? I'm pissed off is what I am. And he's just like, he's like, I am the Metatron. And Le- uh, Linda Ferentino's is like, what? Like, there's not a movie about it. There's not worth knowing, is there? And he explains that, like, Metatron is the voice of God. Any documented event that you hear anybody God speaking to them, they're speaking to me, or they're talking to themselves. And just how he. And then my favorite moment in the movie is when Linda Florentino realizes that she is the last descendant of Jesus Christ. And I know in, in a long, convoluted way, and he's just like, uh, since God can't talk to Jesus because he's human at the time, he had to deliver the news of what needs to be done. And he's like, that's not fair. It shouldn't have been done like that. And it's just a really nice, dramatic moment in a comedy that's a dark comedy, but it's something that just the real subtle nuances of his performance that I really enjoyed. It's something that I'm never going to forget. And it's just, he was taken way too soon. Mm-hmm. And like, like I was... We were talking before the podcast started is that when the news broke, I, I, I assumed it was a hoax because it a very similar way of David Bowie passing away that like age 69 died of cancer and they're both British celebrities. I'm like, no, I hope I'm like, this has to be a hoax. Hopefully it is. And sadly it wasn't. And my initial reaction is like I sent a video to uh, Dakota and his brother Zach and it's just Timon and Puma crying right after their song in Lion King. Because like, that's how I started my day is like. Oh man, I, I, it's just like one of those things that like you start the day kind of low and it's kind of shot. When did you hear the news of Rickman's passing? Well, I woke up to about like twelve texts, a whole bunch of Facebook posts because everybody was, I guess, wanted to make sure that I knew that it happened. Um, I also wake up later than the average person, so I was probably one of the last people to find out. Uh, it was. Just, People were like writing on uh, my wall, like things like uh, like wands up and things like that. And I was like, "What the heck is going on?" I, I did. I also thought it was kind of fake, and I, like I don't trust anything you hear first on Facebook. So, um, you know, I went and I looked, and CNN confirmed it. Uh, so that's when I found out. Yeah, no, I got a text from you, Tim, that uh, he passed away, and I was driving Zach to work. So uh, you texted Zach and I, my brother. And uh, I was driving. Zach was in the passenger seat, so he opened it and told me what happened, and I was really, really upset. I mean, just I don't know. We were we were even just talking about him. Like I saw that quote of his, like saying, like, "Oh, if I'm I'm going to live to eighty, and my family's going to find me reading Harry Potter next to the fire, and they're going to go still after all this time." And he's and he just and I'll say always, it's like. 
your boss. <laughs> yeah, everybody posted that up. I, I saw that about a billion times, and I'm like, honestly, that's probably like the best tribute to him as far as a Harry Potter fan goes, because uh, they, you know, they they knew to his last breath that he he cared about the role that he played. So, and it's it's just an unfortunate thing that like it. It's something I kind of realized yesterday that whenever a celebrity passes away, it could be somebody you haven't talked about in months, if not years. They find out you find out either they're sick or they passed away, and it's an immediate like reaction that you feel a sense of loss, and you're like, "I'll never get a chance to meet that person," and you immediately just just regret like, "Why didn't I do something to have them more in my life, and what can I do to ensure?" Other people that I adore in pop culture or whatever, like, what can I do to make sure I don't have to deal with that again? How can I get a chance to meet whoever? And you're just like, all right, I got to do something about it. But anyway, um, is there anything else you guys want to say on uh, uh, passing of Alan Rickman? Other than I I really do think um, both film and stage suffered a pretty great loss yesterday. Uh. Really all I have to add on that. Yeah, no, all I have to say is that he was taken way too soon. I mean, only 69, what, 69? Mm-hmm. Yeah, only 69, and yeah, he's just contributed so much to the film, and obviously he defines kind of like what a villain is in, a, in movies now. Um, but I think because of how everything you hear and everything you say, like read about Alan Rickman, like how great, a, great personality he is and how good-natured he is, I don't think he would want like us to like really like dwell, be too, dwell, dwell yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah, just he would want us to like live, live, make like laugh and everything like that. It's a so. Dumbledore quote: "Like the ones we love never truly leave yeah. us." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So hopefully this this little <clears throat> excuse me, this little tribute before our book review of chamber of secrets hopefully it's not too downbeat i hope you enjoy the episode you're about to listen to because it was recorded before his passing passing and so we're all very jovial and everything like that and we just have there's like a 15 minute tangent of our (laughs) deconstruction of characters and other media hopefully you can you can Listen to that and enjoy the rest of the review. And stay tuned soon because the commentary to Chamber of Secrets is coming at you very soon. <laughs> I would take a picture of that and be the thumbnail for this. Oh, man. <laughs> Dying. Dying. Uh, as Dakota. No, Dakota, it's your life. Because you have to do the summary. <laughs> I'm totally keeping this in, by the way. Yeah. Oh, I don't blame you.
I'd like to apologize to everyone beforehand. I do. If you hear me sniffing, I have a runny nose for some reason. It, it, it's called the winter, and people get sick. I'm not sick though. Mm-hmm. Just the weather. Yeah. Weather. I don't know. I don't know if it has something to do with my nose surgery, but I don't it's think possible. It should, but yeah. I think we should stick tongs up your nose and start clearing shit. <laughs> Just... <laughs> and go. Okay. So what happens in the book, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? Wow. <laughs> Harry realizes he's still a wizard. <laughs> uh, okay, so Harry... <laughs> Tim's dying. <laughs> Wakes up! Holy shit! I'm still a wizard. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a dream. Oh my god! I still have powers. <laughs> Just like that. Yes, exactly. Okay, so Harry's back uh, from Hogwarts. Yes, he's he's in the. Uh, he's turning twelve. Um. So he pretty much has moved back to the Dursleys. Moves back to the Dursleys, and he has no contact with his friends. Not because the Dursleys are doing anything, but because we later find out that this little. Um, House elf Dobby is trying to prevent him from any contact with the wizarding world because some dark evil is approaching on Hogwarts. So Harry, against his own better judgment, says, fuck it. I'm still going back to school. Goes back to school in a flying car, which crashes into the Whomping Willow. That comes in later on in the series. Some shit goes down with something with the Chamber of Secrets. People being paralyzed by looking at it or looking at reflections of it, as we later find out. Um... Gilderoy Lockhart, who is a famous uh-huh. wizarding, uh-huh. 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 wizarding uh-huh. right guy, who pretty boy, um, author of books. He's now a defensive dark arts uh, teacher, and he's pretty much a giant fraud. And like you know, oh, I could solve this whole problem. He uh, ends up fucking up somehow, and yeah. And Harry pretty much is introduced. We finally get to more introduction into Ginny Weasley, Harry's love interest in future stories. And who's completely, like, being possessed by Voldemort. And shit gets real. Harry kills a giant snake. End of story. Bam. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. I feel like you... Podcast d- over. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like... Roll in credits. That's all, folks. So, as Dakota eloquently put it, that... Harry returns to Hogwarts to face another adventure against the better judgment of the house elf Dobby. And before we go any further, when did you guys first read this book? Did you guys immediately read it, read it right after you finished the first one? And did you read it before? I may have, I may have asked that question in the first podcast. Did you guys read it before the first movie came out? Um, I think I read it. After the first movie came out, I mean, I was still reading it off audio tape. So the first movie came out, I got the first audio tape, I got the second audio tape, I got the third audio tape, and I just banged all three out. Mm -hmm. And then that way I was all caught up. Mm -hmm. So after that, I was just waiting for the release of the books and then the subsequent audio tapes that came after it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I read it right after the first book. Um, Like I had said, the first book was not my favorite. Uh, It was the last few chapters. I was like, oh, read more. Um, And also, like I had said, I'm afraid of snakes. So this was probably the hardest book for me to get through oh <laughs> i uh so i knew what i was getting into when the second movie came out because uh it scared the shit out of me but <laughs> you know i read it like right after and i remember i read this book before the first movie came out and then 
I do not know why I did not read the third book. Don't ask me why. And then eventually just went to Goblet Fire before the movie came out and then finished the rest of the series. I have since listened to the audiobook for Prisoner of Azkaban. I understand where you're coming from, where you're saying that's your favorite series. That makes sense. And thank you. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's jump into characters now. What are your feelings on Harry in this book in comparison to the first book? Um, you know what? I still I kind of feel the same way. Um, in fact, uh, the, when I reread Chamber of Secrets, I start to kind of realize how uh, alienated Harry always seems to get. Because uh, even you see it a little bit in the first book. Uh, they get in trouble, so people are like, "Oh my god, he lost us so many house points." Um, but especially in this one, like Harry gets alienated and no one wants to talk to him they don't understand i mean being a parcel tongue like personally if i was a parcel tongue it would be the most waste of time ever because i would not be talking to snake like snakes at all nor snape either yeah or snape <laughs> either one of them um so you know it kind of feel bad for harry because you start to realize like one he's at the dursleys and he's feeling so alone he doesn't understand why hermione why ron like no one has written him a letter he doesn't understand that it's not them not writing it's dobie trying to protect him um and even when he kind of finds out that dobie's doing some sketchy shit like he's still like oh it's okay sit on my bed let's talk as equals i'm not Uh, gonna strangle you right now like and so he was kind of like stressed out by dobie but he still like appreciated him and uh so i still i really like the harry in this book uh especially because everybody's against him like everybody and even like hermione and ron have their moment when they're like Ooh, hearing voices in the wizarding world is not okay um so here are the people he trusts most that are second guessing him mm. so i have to agree um harry in this book it's still similar to the harry in the first book there's still that innocence and still wide-eyed look into the wizarding world like oh my god what's going on here like, um, oh my god, oh my god, the trees are moving. I think we just found a transformer. Oh my god, you know, let's just be happy with each other. I'm do- I'm in the next Transformers, oh guys. My god. <laughs> Mark, Wa- oh my- I'm Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> I what? produced Entourage. I'm Mark A. Mark with the Funky Punch? I'm so glad Mark Wahlberg is not in Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Movie would have been made so much better. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Gilderoy Lockhart. I'm, I'm shorter Walmart than most of this. as Harry Potter. What? I'm a wizard? Oh my god. <laughs> Hagrid, what do we do? I'm actually shorter than actual Daniel Radcliffe. Oh man, sorry. <laughs> you could still get my ass. You could get Hermione better because you'd be jacked. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> So at least I checked there. Um, so Harry, I think, uh, is still – he's not a dick yet. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, he's still learning more about the Wizarding World. I mean, when Dobby first comes into Privet Drive, he's then – because he was all depressed and shit, he's finally realizing, like, okay, that last year was not just one big LSD halluc- hallucination. Right. So he's like, okay, or am I tripping balls right now? I don't know. <laughs> but so – He's still wide-eyed. You're still learning with him about certain things. We had no idea what a house elf is or that they're enslaved. Mm-hmm. So, And we're still learning with along with him. And it's still adding to the fact that this world is much, much bigger than what we first thought. Right. And I just think he's a he's still very good in this in this book. 
which I agree with, but I feel like there's a point where he kind of stagnates a little bit. That of course he develops his abilities as Apostle Mouth, and his curiosity obviously still gets the best best of him. That's why he agrees to go into Tom Riddle's not uh, diary, mm-hmm. even though anybody who has a, to- a diary talking to him, I don't think they would actually like. Sure, I'll jump into you and see if everything's okay. I disagree with that because uh, it wasn't until after they discover that Ginny's been possessed by that that Harry gets the logic of uh, you never trust anything in the Wizarding World where you, if you can't see its brain. Arthur Weasley's statement. So, yes. like, I I don't actually think he wouldn't do that regardless of how curious he is because I think um, in the Wizarding World, Harry is still pretty far behind. Mm-hmm. So to him, like, a diary that would transport you is kind of normal um mm-hmm. i don't think he knows better yet true I, I'll, I'll give you that and but then with something else that like he obviously still has his uh his courage he doesn't doesn't fault or anything like that and what you say both the guys are saying that how he's feeling alienated it's that one moment after the dueling club chapter when he both Ron and Hermione accuse him. Well, not they don't outright do it, but it was just their overall feelings towards him. It's kind of a cold shoulder dealing with, like, you're a possum out. That's not good. Plus, you're saying you're hearing things, too? That's probably not a good thing, Harry. We still love you, but... Yeah, and also, um, I mean, J.K. Rowley did convey that really great, the alienation, almost like... How the entire school now knows that he's a parcel mouth, and they're kind of just giving a wide berth, and uh, him, including teachers, like even like Lockhart and Snape were probably got like uh... Snape was probably going like, her. <laughs> the this Dark ink. Lord would be driven up the wall. That's exactly. <laughs> got to tell Dumbledore what to do now. As he, he, as he would move his cape around sensually. Sensual cape motion. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, no, but like how Harry then tries to find uh, the one Hufflepuff kid that he would like. Justin, right? Justin Fletch? Fitch, Fitch. I think that was, an, I think that's the, the other Gryffindor kid who ends up. Justin Fitch no, Fletchley. Ernie? Ernie McMillan? Ernie McMillan? He was the one talking shit in the library, right? Right, okay. Who kind of of goes back and forth with his feelings on Harry? Yes. We're obviously prepared for this. Yes, he flip-flops back and forth because he's in the the herbology with Harry. He's all good with this. Then the parcel tongue thing, he's all like, you know, Harry. (laughs) You were with Cedric when he died, too. You're like, I don't know how to... I know, but like, no. Yeah, I know, but like, yeah, but like, his entire consistency, he's... Consistently inconsistent with his friendliness towards well, Harry. That's everybody. I think um, everybody in Hogwarts is consistently inconsistent with their friendliness with Harry. Because uh, if we jump ahead, you look at, you know, um, Goblet of Fire. Like, everybody's all pissed that Harry's name gets put in. You, know, you look at Order of the Phoenix, and like they all kind of give him this cold shoulder. Like, uh, there's, like, a continuous of, like, we love Harry, we hate Harry, we love Harry. And, like, especially, I mean, you see that with celebrities, like, all across the board. It's, like, a celebrity who you've held in high regard, uh, to use an awful example, you use, like, a Bill Cosby. Here's someone who played America's, like, favorite father, and now he's facing how many counts of rape? Uh, you know, like, people's famous fickle and Gildery Lockhart tells Harry that he's like famous a fickle thing and you don't want to play around with it um 
and Guiltry would know that best because he plays around with it, but... Harry, Harry, <laughs> Harry, 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 trust me, it will be fine. Harry, Harry, Harry. <laughs> I am high on my own voice. Uh, before we get to Guiltry, let's I move on. <laughs> Before we make out with myself in mirrors, I think he does. He really does. I really don't suggest you start making out in front of mirrors. One of my least favorite people. Oh my god, he's amazing. No, he's hysterical, amazingly awful. Yes, I agree with that. Um, let's Ron's reaction to some of the shit that goes on. It's just like he wants to. That's a good transition, Ron Weasley. How do you feel about um? Oh, in this book, I you know I feel the most bad for him because here he is. He saves his friend uh, from the awful Dursleys, and then. Uh, oh, they, the howler. He gets stuck. Yeah, he gets stuck with Harry. Like, if he had gone before Harry, Dobie would have cared less if Ron made it through to Hogwarts and not. So, like, a lot of the time, the stuff that happens to Ron is only because he's friends with Harry. Yes. Um, and you got to give him props for sticking with somebody who gets him in someone's shit. Uh, but, like, even with his broken Ron, like, he tries to stand up for Hermione and ends up puking up slugs. <laughs> like, puking is bad enough, but friggin' slugs, like, oh. And then his worst fear is spiders, and they have to deal with Aragog and his family. Like, this kid puts up with a lot to be friends with Harry Potter. And you, you've got to give Ron and all his, like, mediocrity glory because Ron puts up with a lot. Dakota? Yeah, no, I mean... To be perfectly honest with you, Harry, Ron, and Hermione haven't really changed too much from the first book at this point. Mm. It's when the third book comes around when they start all – everyone starts changing. Um, but, yes, Ron does have to put up with a lot of shit this book. I mean, Broken Wand, uh, the Howler being sent to him after crashing, the Gee, flying car right. to the Whomping Willow. Um, I mean, he doesn't really deal with that much with Ginny, actually. I mean, no, she like he, she like runs away because Ron's always with Harry. Harry. Yeah, that's true. Except for except for right at the end, like um, right before they find out like what's been going on with Ginny, like she tries to reveal herself to both Harry and Ron, and I think it was because Ron was there that she was comfortable bringing up to Harry. Mm. Because I mean, as we've known even from last book, uh, and much more so this book. She can't be around Harry. She's so overtaken with how much she loves Harry um, that Ron was her comfort zone. And then here comes Percy, who, like, ruins everything fun and good um, without even meaning to. Poor Percy. Like, he just wants to follow the rules. And he manages. Like, she wouldn't have been brought to the chamber had it not been Percy interjecting when she was trying to come forward to Harry and Ron. That's true. Yeah. I'll give you that. And with Ron, it seems like, like as we all stated, like, that Ron eats a lot of shit and still proving why he's in Gryffindor, that he's willing to stand by him, even though, like, Hermione's the smart one uh, and Harry's the star. Ron's like, I don't care what people say. I'm still going to be with these people regardless, and I'm going to get into hijinks because that's what I do. And I'm willing to face down my own fears of going into the dark forest and coming across giant spiders, an entire colony of them, mm-hmm. and somehow still willing to be friends with them. Because at one point, would you feel like, you know, I feel like I got a death wish if I'm being friends with Harry Potter. I really got to stop doing this. Well, they kind of addressed this in the fourth book when yeah. uh, 
would uh, Ron and Harrier being yeah having a bitch fit at each other. Yes, and Hermione's like, "Well, Harry, really think about it. Ron is always putting up with your bullshit, and you're getting all the credit for everything." Well, the, he, uh, shut the fuck up, Harry. Go apologize to Ron. No, no. <laughs> so like Keen Beals, Keen Peel skit. Megan, your jacket! No! <laughs> Just keep walking away. That's how pretty much it is at that point. The thing I like most about Ron is Ron's the most human. Uh, like, Ron is probably the bravest in the books. The fact that he will blindly show loyalty to the people that he holds dear is really commendable. Uh, it's when, like, even, like you said, in the fourth book, it's like Ron's, like, kind of had enough like he's like he's always outshined he's always been outshined by his family and now his best friend is doing the same exact thing and uh you know it comes down to ron kind of shows us what it's like to be human like every one of us at one point has been jealous of someone we truly deeply care about Mm. including you know ron to harry and like harry's always been super appreciative of everything ron contributes like ron feels like he doesn't have enough but harry's like no listen like the borough is the coolest place i've ever been to i don't care if you have a goblin that bangs on pipes at weird times cool that's what i said (laughs) (laughs) so you know like it doesn't matter to him that you know ron's kind of the last of the boys he he doesn't care he doesn't care that uh ron's brother trains dragons the other one's a freaking curse breaker like he doesn't care he like harry loves ron and ron knows that until he doesn't know that which is when you know you see that in the fourth book um you don't actually see that in this book. You know, he's pretty, they stay true. The only time, like, Ron kind of questions Harry is like, bro, you probably shouldn't be able to talk to snakes. Like, that's not okay. Uh, but <laughs> they never. You're gonna have a bad time. Yeah, he's never like, you're the one. It is you. Uh, so he never turns really his finger towards Harry. Uh, you just don't see that until Goblet of Fire when he's convinced that, you know, Harry put his own name in. And feelings on Hermione? Uh, like I said before, it, she's exactly – the three of them are exactly the same from the first book. And Hermione is still the know-it-all genius. That but we, she's definitely wa- moving away from that and being the rule breaker much like the other yeah, two Yeah, well, are. she's being corrupted by the yeah. r- Harry and yeah. Ron. I mean it was her idea once they figure out like, okay, people are being attacked. And she's like, well – Let's go ask Draco if he has anything to do with it because oh, he more sure. than likely does. Let's, I, let's just ask him. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Not like as you, as somebody else disguised, and that's where the polyjuice potion the polyjuice comes from. Potion. Now, obviously, the only person out of the three of them to concoct the polyjuice potion would be Hermione, and I by do, bad luck, she fucks it up herself. Which I do find funny that like they like they they set it up as like it's so difficult to do the. Potion of Polyjuice in the first, second book, and then by the later of the books, everybody just seems to be able to brew it pretty damn quickly. I didn't think they could brew it that quickly. Like, because uh, even I was thinking about that as I was rereading Chamber, I was like, you know, um, what's his freaking face? This Fudge's kid. Uh, the one that poses as a mad eye. What's his name? Barty Crouch Jr. Thank you. Barty Crouch is. Junior, uh, like I don't think it was that easy for him to concoct that, and the fact that uh, he had to keep Mad Eye like locked up, like that goes to show, like this is not an easy potion. And even when um, they all turned into Harry, like it wasn't like these are some of the best minds that are trying to. That's true. So like I, I'm pretty sure the only because per- even if 
I think if Harry and Ron really, really wanted to concoct the uh, Polyjuice Potion, it would have to be later Harry and Ron. It could not have been 12-year-old. Like, the fact that Hermione's the smartest out of all of them, and the fact you see that, especially in the third book, um, she's freaking greatest what she's taking all the subjects that there is to take yeah. um like she's the only one that could have done it and uh which almost makes it kind of funny that she's the one that gets fucked up side effects on yeah like here she is doing this really complex potion that like people her age should not be able to do and she turns herself into a cat so it's kind of funny but it's not funny at the same time <laughs> and it seems like Kind of like how, at least with the third act or like the fi- the climax of each story, the numbers wane down to Harry finally facing down the people. One one person will go down, then the other. Like in the, this first book, Ron sacrifices himself to the chess pieces, and then Hermione says, "Oh, I'm going to bring back this, and so you can go forward to get the Source of Stone." Here. Hermione's taken out of the game in the beginning, like, you could yeah. argue the beginning of the third act of this, with her being um, petrified by yeah. the basculus. And then they're like, like, and they both admit, like, we don't know what to do. If Hermione was here, we'd be able to solve this problem. And she's still being petrified. Still solve the problem. Yeah. And that's, and it's kind of funny, because, too, you look at it, uh, it was Ron who sacrificed himself first in the first book. Uh, and then Hermione went back to go take care of him after the potions. And then in this book, it was Hermione gets struck out. Then Ron get, is the one that's like, you know what, I'm going to you know, dig us out of the chamber. So that way when you're done defeating whatever the hell is in this chamber, mm. have fun with that. I will have a hole for us. Um, so it, it is interesting that they switch on and off without it being... Um, you know, too no, noticeable. Yeah, like it's it's not like in your face, like oh, it's uh, it's Hermione's turn. Yeah, like even uh, next, if you jump ahead uh, two books to Goblet of Fire, you know, um, Ron's sacrificed pretty quickly in the the challenge with the mermaids, like yeah. underwater. So uh, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun that they all get sacrificed at different times. And my sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, for the creed, for a creed, <laughs> another creed reference amongst our podcasting. I mean, it just it's just one of the things that'll continue onward. I'm six feet from the edge, with Harry's arms wide open. Yeah, you're not referring to the one day in the Goblet Fire yeah. movie. No. Like, are you talking, like, Dance Like a Hippogriff song? Yeah. No, no, no. Like, Wizard Rock is his own genre of music. It was pretty popular for a little while. I tr- I don't play any musical instruments, and I tried to create one. Uh, but I went to, like, Remus and the Lupins show in New York City. Uh, they have, like, the giant squib. Uh, they have, like, all kinds of cool, like, I'm pretty sure Draco and the Malfoys still produce movie, like, music. That's a great, that's a great yeah, name like for I, a band. I'm pretty sure they're still out there. I'll have to reach out to them and let them know that they're mentioned in this, but. Oh, man. They had Wizard Rock, uh, music conventions and stuff. Okay, so Wizard Rock is kind of like Viking metal and pirate metal? No, it's like every genre. It's just every genre of music, uh, it just, it. it pirate metal. Cool. Revolves around Viking metal school. Magic. That's what it revolves around <laughs> oh. Harry Potter. 
Harry Potter rock. Like, oh are... man, one of my best EPs was that Remus and the Lupins. Remus Moaning and the Lupins. I, oh. I had that. I was I rocking the out. Sisters? Uh, they might have. I don't know. I didn't listen to it. I, this was all stuff with like MySpace was cool. So that should tell you everything it needs to know about my past. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think mine was like the muggle-dressed wizard. That's because Archie's my favorite character in book four. He's mentioned in like one page. And by one page, I mean two sentences. Mm. He just has like – he doesn't dress like a wizard at the the Triwizard. Not the Triwizard. uh, the, The cup, the Quidditch World Cup. They're like, Archie, you have to put on uh, muggle clothes. And he's like, he has like a dress on. Oh, yes. You yeah, make a nice breeze around my previous. Right. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, right. As soon as they arrive. As soon as they arrive, they're like, and they're just like, keep hexing pretty much the muggle, like wiping his memory because yeah. everybody keeps coming up and fucking up everything with the yeah. port, after the port key. Dude's my fave. Um, moving on. Let's talk about, since we have. We are going on the list of the heroes. Let's continue with the introduction. Well, not introduction, but the introduction pretty much the furthering of her character, Ginny Weasley. Oh, Ginny in this book. I feel really freaking bad for Ginny because here she is coming off the last book. And all you ever see of Ginny is just like blushing, like hide behind her mom's skirt, 10-year-old. And now here she is, a little 11-year-old who literally always looks sick to her stomach. And I totally understand why none of her brothers were understanding that she was possessed by, you know, Lord Voldemort. Um, Because they were all just like, oh, it's her first year. You know, here are these attacks. Like, she's just taking this harder than some of us. Like, she's the girl of the family. The only girl of the family. So none of them quite get that, like, no, like, something bigger is at play. Um, And she would be the most susceptible Weasley to Tom Riddle's diary. Like, can you see Ron, like, writing in it, like, all his deepest thoughts? Like, God, like, Hermione was, like, not letting me copy her homework today. Life sucks. Got a howler. I can see see the book. You know? forming a gun and just blowing its own pages out. Yeah. <laughs> like, Voldemort would be like, forget my horror crux. Like, it's time yeah. to go. Um, and you know what, Ron? Yeah. Just find something sharp and stab this book. Stab it. <laughs> really freaking I need, hard. like, an ear-destructible weapon just to kill myself <laughs> so I don't have to hear you. Um, but, yeah, and that's like... Voldemort in Albania just sitting. <laughs> ah! Oh, it's finally gone. Yeah, thank God, oh. right? No more Ron Weasley. Um, but yeah, like even – and it's got to be tough too to be like the only girl and like you look at like the Weasley twins. Even you look at Ron. Like coming after Ron, like Ron's the best friend of like the most famous like wizarding child of the world. And, you know, here you are just this 11-year-old and like this is what you've been waiting for your whole life because you've watched every other sibling do it and – now you you don't know why time is missing and you you don't know why like you wake up one day and there's feathers and blood on you like and your friends start disappearing like i would imagine like being that she's a gryffindor first year and colin creevy was a gryffindor first year they had to have been friends like she loves harry he loves harry like they have to get along and and there's one thing is like how many situations is when you've had friends at school had problems and you didn't know it. You knew something was a little off and you're like, maybe this is having a rough time. Maybe school's got them down. Then you find out there's a deeper-seated issue with them, whether they're dealing with some kind of issue in their home life or just like with their life in the dorms or something like that. It's kind of like one of those things played out that's like, 
oh yeah, everybody thinks like, eh, she's okay, maybe she's not adjusting well, but there's an actual issue that nobody realizes, and you kind of like, in hindsight, you smack yourself like, why didn't I realize this? Yeah. And I kind of, like, as you said, like, her bringing up like, Harry, like, like I need to tell you something, and then Percy interrupts, and that's when she ends up being kidnapped, and how she feels even, like, sheepish, like, especially afterwards when they're all, like, in Dumbledore's, not, it was it McGonagall's office? McGonagall's. And they're just, like, and she's still kind of hiding behind her mom, feeling bad about what she's done and stuff like that. And, like, everybody's like, no, don't feel bad about this. You, It's not your fault, honestly. When Dumbledore said, it's like, please, yes. it's not your fault. Then everything was like, okay, let's just There's hear everything. Older wizards that have been taken over by Lord older Voldemort. Wiser, yeah, yeah, like, an 11-year-old girl had no chance against the darkest <laughs> wizard. And not only just the darkest, but this was literally, like, a piece of his soul. Yeah. So, like, it's not like, you know, like, Quirrell, who got, like, the remnants of what was left of Voldemort. Like, this is a pure piece of Voldemort. It's literally his soul that took her over. Your feelings? On uh, Ginny? Yes. Uh, well, I mean, Ginny, uh... Because Ginny was so shy and everything like we didn't really get to see her develop at all in this book. Right. I mean, you have the entire series to see her develop, which is she is actually one of my favorite characters in the series. Mm. Um, but in this book, you do – she is there I, to really show actually how caring the Weasleys are. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, they didn't realize what was really going on with her. But when she's getting upset about everything like that, each Weasley brother ha- did try in their own ways to comfort her. Mm-hmm. Like, Ron was kind of like there to support her. The uh, Fred and George were cracking jokes. And Percy was trying to comfort her in his by over-talking and being too obnoxious to sensitivity things because he's just being so blunt and Authority. Sur- uh, surgical about everything, which which always I, I found kind of weird why he turned out like that when he had such loving parents. I guess maybe it's just a weird way of like well, how they, maybe it's just being the third son after. I mean, I don't really have a problem with Percy. I mean, they do explain why he's such a dick later on. Yeah. Because he gets too in too deep, but he really can't find a way out, so he has to play along type mm. thing. But he's not really a – he's not a bad person. No. And it, Nor know, does he really have any bad intentions. He's just misguided. Like a very misguided person. Like he wants to follow the rules to the to the point where he like uh, – his loyalty is not to a person. It's to the rules. So to him like by, you know, some – like even you'll, – you'll definitely see it later on. You, you don't see it as much now because he really is just kind of like out of all the Weasleys, he's not fun. So you you're drawn to Fred, you're drawn to George, you're even like the mythical Bill and Charlie that you know like nothing about right now. You're like, oh, they must be so cool. And then there's Percy, who's the wet blanket of the bunch. <laughs> but at the same time, he's still a good person. He's just in Percy's mind, he wants to follow the rules. He wants to do what's right because he believes in the Wizarding World and he wants what's best for everyone in it. And moving on, since we've talked about, we're, we're keeping along with the heroes of the book. Let's go to Dobby. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to start? Uh, I mean, I could start. I, you know what? The whole thing with Dobby, Dobby is one of those people, you know they mean well, but you still want to push him down a flight of stairs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, later on, love him one of my favorite characters but this book you're like are you kidding you're gonna get this kid killed in order to protect him from some quote-unquote bad thing that you don't 
even have the license to say. Um, I mean, when he gets freed, it's probably one of my favorite books. That's it's like almost parts a tear, of the book. It's almost like a tearjerker yeah. moment. You're just like, oh my god, look at you, Harry. You're so sneaky. You just saved this freaking house up that almost killed you like 20 times. And especially, who doesn't hate the Malfoys? Like, there's nothing about the Malfoys that are redeeming. There's something about the Malfoys that you're like, yeah, these are people I want to have over to my house for coffee. Like, no, like, you hate them. So the fact that even though everything that he has done to try to help Harry really didn't help Harry, kind of made things worse, um, you still don't want him a part of it because you know he's looking out for Harry's best He's interest. not a creature. Yeah, creature is a whole different ballgame. Uh, creature is like, you don't like creature. You never like creature. There's nothing uh, redeeming so, about so, creature. Uh, yeah, say, like, no, I don't like creature, even with, like, the revelations of creature. Like, I, I almost would prefer Winky with her drunken stupor. <laughs> you know, like, I, God. like. Horrible name for a character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for House Elf, though, like, cause think of, like, a puppy. People name puppies ridiculous things. Like, I have a puppy named Teddy because it kind of looks like a teddy bear. That makes sense, though. Yeah, like, my cu- the, my friend has a Yorkie that looks like Chewy. Winky's just Winky. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I know where you're going with that. Yeah, no, no, I got you. I was just trying to, I was trying to avoid bring that. Up, bring up the maturity level just yeah, a little bit. I'm trying I, to avoid the grossness. Oh, just of the ridiculousness. Um, is there any other house elves you know in so so that we can? Um, yeah, just those are the main three. Yeah. Uh, other than the ones that Hermione desperately tries to help, and none of them don't want her help. <laughs> it's like all Dobby with all her hats. And <laughs> just just, just a tower on, of knitted hats. Hats on hats on hats on hats. Oh my God, house elf anthem. <laughs> <laughs> Your feelings on Dobby? I don't like him at all. I never liked him. He's just he's just too frustrating for me to like, because it's like okay, really, just, in the first meeting, it's just like, dude, calm the fuck down. I know what you're doing. I know what you're thinking, and this is what you do to yourself. But seriously, like, cut the shit. Right. I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, I mean, obviously, Harry doesn't know that. Harry can't give Dobby an order technically at that point. No. Because he's not anywhere related to the Malfoys, but still, Harry could be like, "Yo, cut the shit. Give me like five minutes to tell me what, why you're here. I'm, I'm extending." But the fact that he didn't really cut the shit is what's so great about Harry. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, he, like he now should. Man treats his inferiors. Remember? Yes. <laughs> yes. No, I'm not saying he. He's doing. Are you telling wrong. me that a dog who got out of line you never was stern with? Oh, yeah, I was gonna say. But I also Teddy has Teddy has never ironed his hand. <laughs> so if Teddy started like if he did, uh, I, I ironing his paw, like things would be different. But like Teddy's also never tried to I save had my to life. Iron my hands, like Harry Potter. Teddy might try to save me from the squirrel that sits on the fence and like taunts him. But like Dobby literally is trying to save his life. So like his intentions are so good so wrongly misplaced so like he like executes them awfully i mean don't curse a bludger don't 
curse the barrier like these are all but at the same time you think of how sheltered Dobie was like it's almost like he was like harry living under the staircase like he is literally in a dark wizarding household but he's not a dark elf like if critcher lived with the malfoys it would make fucking sense but like Dobie, who's just like i'm like so warm and loving and here he is with probably the darkest wizarding family still intact it like it's not Dobie's fault he's so frustrating. I totally get why he's so frustrating because he really just fucks shit up. But, like, <laughs> he means so well, and you have to give him points for trying. You just have to. I give him points for trying, but you still ha- Harry still has to, like, you know, like. Live. <laughs> yes. And at that moment, everything was riding on him being invisible upstairs. Yeah. And it was just one of those things where Harry really should have just been like, listen, I'm, I'm not, don't want to kick you out, but I will. So. Yeah, but- Give me. I, I know. Two things. One thing, I actually looked up that Japanese joke that Uncle Dursley was trying. It's to, horrible. It's a really inappropriate. Really? It's okay. it's about a Japanese businessman getting an escort for the night, and she keeps saying a word while they're in the midst of it. And then the following day, when he's dealing with his business people, that's why he's in Japan, and he gets a hole in one on the green. He screams out that word, and the businessman look at him and say, "What do you mean, wrong hole?" And you're all, and I'm like, oh, oh my god! And I'm like, oh, and that's not like the out of the movie. That's in the book itself. And, yeah. and, and I'm just like, oh, really inappropriate. Yeah. And going back to what you're saying about Teddy wanting to protect you from the squirrel on the tr- the uh, fence. I'm at work the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, listening to Harry Potter on my iPod on lunch, and I look uh, out and I'm sitting in my car because I'm antisocial like that, and I look out my windshield and there's a squirrel sitting on the fence eyeing me. Just eating his nuts. It's like, squirrels. Just, and this, like, leered at me for, like, five minutes. It's like, Jesus Christ, dude. Like, what did I do, man? And I'm like, oh. How did I offend you? <laughs> I'm like, what did I do, man? And it was like, I've never seen a squirrel so adamant about something. And I'm like, all right, man. I'm just going to leave you be. But since Dobby is a new character in this book, let's talk about another new character. Lucius Malfoy. So glad I got my five cent words in on Dobby. <laughs> yes, uh, I know. I wasn't... <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. No, keep going. I don't... What was said about Dobby's? Go ahead. Even even throughout the rest of the series. Yeah, I don't like him. Mm. He's still frustrating. Even, but even though he helps him out so much, oh, yeah, like, yes, God. he gets he sacrifices his life for Harry and everyone. But at the still time, it's like to be honest with you. I didn't really feel like crying when he died. I thought there was a lot more char- characters worth crying over. You didn't feel he was like a wrong parallel? Like, I felt he was like a wrong parallel. Explain. I do not feel like he's a wrong parallel. Because here is a character who, uh, through very misguided uh, actions, tries their best to look out for the well-being of Harry. So, like, overall, Ron to Harry, like... There are definitely things that Ron could have done better that, like, during the fourth book when everybody literally shuns him, like, so does Ron. And, uh, like, there's just, like, I felt like Dobie, like, wanted to do good and meant so well. And he just was doing the best he could in his own capacity that 
And when he, like, when he died, I was like, oh, no, like, you took this character away. Like, it was almost kind of like when they killed Hedwig. Like, I was just like, unnecessary, like, unnecessary J.K. Rowling. (laughs) How could you? (laughs) I kind of feel like she had, like, a dartboard with all the characters. Oh, no, no, she she has admitted that whenever she was, like, pissed off or having a bad day or her period was really bad, she just killed off characters. She actually killed Ron off, and the publisher called her saying, you can't do that. Yeah. So that's when, in the last book, when Ron disappears for so long, she killed him off. Mm. But then she had to rebring him back in. So it was like, okay. Which we'll get to, you feelings, if she... All right. Quick question. Side note. If she had killed off Ron in that book, how would you feel? Ooh. I probably would have thrown up. <laughs> Like, I didn't handle Dumbledale. Dumbledale. (laughs) Yes, Dumbledale. That was very trying on my Uh, heart. I didn't handle Dumbledore's death very well. So, like, if they had killed off Ron, like, I, yeah, I probably would have thrown up. That's, like, literally the only physical reaction I could have had because, uh, and even, uh, I was just reading something. It was, like, that Hagrid was slated to be killed, and then she thought better of it because she was, like, no, I wanted to have Harry be carried out by Hagrid. I wanted him to be carried out by the person who brought him into the wizarding world. Um, I wanted him to be carried out dead or supposedly dead. So that's the only reason Hagrid lived. And the same thing while Arthur Weasley, she was going to kill him off. and she was. I like, would have freaked out on that. Yeah, she was like, you know what? There's not a lot of good dads in the series and i want to keep one like it, she didn't want to pull like a disney like every mom is like mia so she was just like let me keep Somebody. arthur yeah and because even you look at it like that's pretty accurate because you look at like lucius malfoy and you look at like barty crouch senior and you look at all these the dursleys like serious black even though he's a father figure he gets killed because yeah. she was pissed one day and even you know what serious black though father figure wasn't a father like, you know, so it kind of makes sense to get rid of him because you want, uh, like, in any kind of hero's journey, you want the hero to be separated by those people they considered guardians. And that's why Dumbledore had to die in order for Harry to evolve. Um, Harry would have never faced off with Voldemort if Dumbledore was still alive. I, Dumbledore wouldn't have let him. No. So, you know... I know we just went down. We just went down. Yeah, that was like a depressive. Like, um, I just I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been okay on the principle that I really like Ron, and I wouldn't have been okay with Hermione's progression because Hermione needs Ron as much as they said that like oh like a Harry Hermione mix could work. Hermione needs Ron. Hermione is uh, an up in the air like book smart like one of the most brilliant witches of her time, but. Mm. You need someone who is just down to earth to be like, hey, girl, relax. <laughs> and that's what Ron is to her. Like, uh, like I almost kind of would have seen her had that not worked out. Like, I would have seen her with one of the Weasley twins. Like, it would have been such a weird coupling that it would have worked. Um, so, yeah, you just can't. If she had killed Ron, I don't. I probably would never have forgiven J.K. Rowling. Like, damn you for creating my favorite book series. I hate your fucking guts. Like, that's <laughs> how I would have felt about it. I think that's how George R. 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 Martin goes to sleep every night. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what I feast that? on your tears. Yeah. <laughs> He's different, though. Yes. Yes. Your feelings if they killed off Ron? Oh, I thought we were moving on, but okay. Um... <laughs> I would have been pissed. It would have been incomplete and kind of unnecessary, to be honest with you. 
because we already have this dire, dark situation going on, and I mean, we're totally off subject right here. I, I know. I I, 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 t- <laughs> I totally steered it in that direction. Uh, I mean, the seventh book is totally dark and just like, oh my god, there's nothing bright at all going on right now. And just to why well, kill- think the cover is so bright <laughs> because they had to give some brightness to the book itself. It wasn't that, I mean, it was orange and red in color, but it, versus the blue of order, yeah, but and the it green. still wasn't like a happy color. Yeah. It still was like this is dark and ominous, even if it was bright, like dark orange and red yeah. and yellow. It's still like shit's gonna get real in this book. Shit is going down. But anyway, I think just killing Ron off would just have just added to the darkness, and just like I think a lot of readers would have just given up at that point. It's like what's the fucking point? Yeah. He just has to. Harry just has another reason to kill Voldemort at this point, and you're just. J.K. Rowling is just tearing the living souls out of everyone if she killed Ron off, and everyone would have hated her, and the seventh book would have just died. I would have loved to see. I would have loved like it's like I had this idea while I was seeing watching Toy Story three, and I know, and I'm like, what if they pulled the Terminator two ending? And that they killed off the toys in the schmelting. And I would have loved it. Like, I know it would have been a ballsy move by Pixar. And they just, like, they melt and then fades to black and the credits roll. Like, I would love to see the gross for the first weekend. And then drop off by 30% the following yes. weekend. <laughs> I know it's terrible, but I'm just like, to see well, Woody just burn and then just thumbs well, up. And then... <laughs> I'm sorry if epic. I just haunted your nightmares. That would have been that epic, age. but, uh, no. But dun, 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 look at dun, a series dun, dun. that killed off everyone at the very end. Uh, the um, Hunger Games series, the, which I I, I not haven't seen. read. My sister filled me in on everything. The third book is the shittiest book out of the trilogy because the author literally kills off everyone to just stop any spinoffs. So she just goes out of her way, kills off everyone just for the hell of it, mm. and the book sucked. Unceremoniously killed everybody. Yeah, just fucking killed them all off, and it was like, well, what's the point? I wouldn't say it was unceremoniously. I think it really had to happen for the story progression in Hunger Games. I mean, it, it's all your favorite characters. I mean, in comparison to Game of Thrones, like Game of Thrones, anybody who read it after anyone else, so as long as you weren't literally the first person to have a copy of one of those books, you knew your favorite characters were going to be the first ones to die. Mm. Like, the minute you form an attachment to any character in Game of Thrones, you should just expect them to kick the bucket. Whereas in Hunger Games, you're like, oh, my favorite characters are making it. And then all of a sudden, meh, 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 they're all dead. And uh, so, like, I, I do think it makes a lot more sense in um, in some context to prepare your readers for unceremonious killings. Um, like, you knew with this series, shit was going to get real. Like, uh, you know, good was going to verse evil. Your characters that you love and hold dear are going to – I mean, it starts – it starts in the fourth book, which is why I like the fourth book so much, because, like, this is when it shifts. Like, it is not happy-go-lucky anymore. Your favorite characters are all at risk. The wizarding world is not safe. Um, and then, you know, fifth, you lose Sirius. You know, six, you're losing Dumbledore. Seven, freaking everybody that, you, like, whoever you don't expect is going to die. Like, who was, like, really like, oh, my God, she's going to kill off Hedwig. Like, no, no one saw that fucking coming, which is why it was so hard to get through. Yeah. And, like, so I think it's almost kind of better off to prepare your readers for some kind of death than, um, cause, and that's kind of really where Hunger Games went wrong is because you start to get where, okay, everyone's immune, everyone you like is going to make it, then they don't make it. But I mean, that's my problem with. Serious Nikki. 
Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> it's well, kind of. Only one that read that book. <laughs> my fault. You guys didn't read it. I'm sorry. It's kind of like recently, uh, Walking Dead, like they supposedly killed off Glenn, but they didn't. And I'm just kind of like, you undermined everything you've set up thus far because you're like, you've never pulled that shit before. When somebody dies, somebody dies. You don't kind of bullshit that way out of that. And now you've kind of cast the character, which you know what's going to happen to Glenn now. And I'm just like, I'm like, they got to fucking crucify him when they, when he finally get come, gets his come up things. And I'm like, you, any seriousness you have with a kill in a series, like, I mean, you, you kind of undermine the same thing, but like Game of Thrones, like you set it up. The fact that anybody can go at any time if you have not yeah. read the books. And that's, well, that's the whole thing. If Daryl dies, like, everyone says a riot. Because that's, like, there's no way you can watch Walking Dead and not appreciate Daryl as a character. Whereas Glenn, like, I kind of was ready for Glenn to die. And I actually have a guy who uh, I would have to keep up with Walking Dead in order he would tip me better if we, if I had seen, like, the last week's episode when he comes into the bar. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, we were going back and forth, and I'm like, bro, like, Glenn's alive. And he's like, no, no, he's dead. And I'm like, no, you know, this is a character that people are so invested in. You've been invested in him since the first episode. Like, he's not dead. Like, he's <laughs> <laughs> not. And he's like, no, they killed him because and they're just going to make you wait, like, forever to find out. You you have to uh, you you have to kind of mark that out very early on in the series that your characters are in jeopardy. Um, and even though Walking Dead does that, they don't they don't do that because um like some like Sophia mm. Sophia was a weak link. Sophia wasn't a really developed character. Like Sophia got killed off by Sophia. Like yeah. here's Glenn. Now Glenn, you followed. Glenn's knocked up Maggie. Like they. There's a lot of shit going on with Glenn. You don't want to see him go. Yeah. So. And, I mean, they obviously want the intentions. Like, there's obviously characters out there that want to kill the heroes. It's like that kind of like what Lucius Malfoy wants to do. This is a Harry Potter podcast, everybody. I hope oh, everybody yeah. forget about that. Let's go back to that. Sorry. <laughs> Feelings on Lucius. Okay. Just to say, I'm totally lost there because I didn't read get- – I know I brought up Hunger Games. I never watched Game of Thrones or read Game of Thrones. And I don't watch – Walking Dead. So I was. Comp- I outgeeked you. I don't like zombies. <laughs> I flat out think they're just stupid. Yet you like Night Living Dead. That was different. That was a suspense movie. Yeah, but we also we need to I finish did. the Romero trilogy. We need to see Dawn. You need to see Dawn of the Dead. Ugh, do I have to? You'll appreciate Dawn of the Dead. Day of the Dead, you may, I mean, a little more mixed, but that's my favorite of the one. But Dawn of the Dead, I think you'll Can we enjoy. Substitute Dawn of the Dead with Shaun of the Dead. Oh, we're gonna have to show. I have to show you Shaun of the Dead anyway because it's so. It's. it's I mean, I went to the fucking Comic Con as him. I and, know. <laughs> I mean. Wait, are we going back to the now? Yes. <laughs> I, I'll start talking because I said like five words this entire review. Okay. <laughs> After you. He's um. <laughs> Just turn the mic <laughs> Just away. Take, 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 take. <laughs> uh, okay, so Lucius Malfoy. It's like okay, you are older Draco Malfoy with just a little <laughs> bit more bitterness to you. <laughs> you wonder what, how, why Draco's the way he is. Yeah, he's identical to his father, and like I love the fact that Lucius... Only without his convictions. Yes. yes. I, feel, I feel like... But go on, sorry. Uh, but I love the fact that the hatred between Draco, Ron, and Harry is also met between Lucius and Arthur Weasley. It's just there, and it's just like, oh, no wonder everyone just hates this family. 
Because they go to fisticuffs in a, in, a, in, a, in a book signing, in a crowded And has to be store. broken up by Hagrid, of all people. They're like, yeah. what's going on over here? I am the one who gets in the fights. Hagrid just should have just like, ripped Lucius through a window, something like that. <laughs> That's why. But people are, don't expect droids to rip arm, people's arms out of their sockets when they lose. Wookiees are known to do that. I get to see Hagrid ripping <laughs> loose mouth point pieces in the middle of the store. Let the, let the Hagrid win that too. Ah, well, 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 thank you. Okay, Sorry. but uh, yeah, so Lucius Malfoy, you can see exactly where everything Draco comes from and why Draco has like, oh, well, my father does this and says this. So it's a little like, I like that part, but also like how the fact that he is, um, Lucius Malfoy is a, he has a plan Almost, you could kind of tell that because he's selling shit off from his house because, like, I'm going to get searched any day. Yeah. Might as well keep up, up appearances that I'm good right now. So take all, get all the bad shit out of here mm-hmm. while I still can, and maybe sometime, someday later, just bring it all back. And also getting rid of like to mess with the Weasley family's giving uh, Tom Riddle's uh, diary to Ginny is also like, ha, suck it, Arthur. You're going to now, now your own daughter is going to be fucking with dark art stuff. And without the Dark Lord's permission to do that. Yes, we find out that it was a total misstep by by him, and he gets kind of punished for it. And I think that's why he doesn't want to face him at first, because he kind of screwed I, up there. screwed up a bunch of shit, Voldemort. Yes, no shit, Lucius. <laughs> uh, Go polish my shoes. Oh, uh, okay. With your tongue. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Lucius is a good cat <laughs> <laughs> <Pat> leather shoes. <laughs> now my sketches. <laughs> <laughs> you think I got up and down the Hogwarts grounds in my dress shoes? No, God no! I need my Air Jordans. <laughs> Pump them up for me, Lucius. <laughs> Listen, I'm playing ball with some of my homeboys. I need those. I need those Jordans squeaky clean and bright, right, right this instant. Remember your tongue. <laughs> oh man, I need to see him with with like some really hot shoes and stuff like that. Uh, Damn, Voldemort, those are some flash shoes you got. <laughs> <laughs> It's very hard to keep a straight face with the two of you. Like, well, well, yeah. It's really serious, and then you guys are like... Well, we, we went down the serious path of, like, characters' deaths for, like, 15 minutes. Yeah, so, so I think we, we had need... to give you guys a reprieve. You know, when he, when Arthur and Lucius go at it, I wasn't as bothered as when Lucius came after Hagrid. That bothered me so much more. And I guess it's because, um, like, as lovable and all over the place as Arthur is, he is not the lovable oaf that Hagrid is. No. So for Lucius, he's all like, uh, me and the governors agree. Like, I hate that, and I hate that when, like, this they're house? not only, they, like, he comes in and he insults Hagrid's house, but he takes away Dumbledore, and I'm like, whoa, bro. Whoa. <laughs> now you're crossing a line. So, and the thing with Lucius, because Draco's bad. But Draco is not Lucius bad. And the, you know how they're always He's like, his mother's son. Yeah. Like, they're always like, oh, the sins of the father, like, carry down to the son. I, You know, it sucks. Like, if Draco was raised by anyone else, he probably wouldn't have been as intolerable. Uh, it, there's just everything that Lucius installs in him is just so freaking wrong. Like, down to when they're in, like, what's it, Bergen, Bergen and Burks? 
Borgen and Blutz. Something along that, like when they're in, uh, what's his face? Yep. Nocturne <laughs> Alley. Nocturne Alley. Uh, Borgen and something. Yeah. Borgen like, and Blotz. I think it's Borgen and Blotz, but let me confirm. Yeah. And yes, like, we are having confirmation done well, right now. Well, he's confirming. It's just like, it's so funny to me. Like, you raise this kid to be spoiled. You raise this kid to know, like, hey, we have money. I will buy you everything, including a Quidditch team. Bergen um, and Burks. Bergen and Burks. There we go. So I was right. I uh, <laughs> all right, all right. Two points for you. Five points to Gryffindor. Holla. Um, I thought you were Hufflepuff. No, I'm a Gryffindor. My sister's a Hufflepuff. God, how dare you? No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just saw that verbal backhand right there. <laughs> that was pretty hard. My, a uh, fun little side note, like one time my sister was like, oh, well, you being a Harry Potter fan should really celebrate all houses and wear like all kinds of, she's like, maybe one day you should wear a Slytherin scarf, one day a Ravenclaw hat. And I literally, I didn't mean to. And she swears up and down that I did. I chucked my phone at her and I was just like, how could you? And I did this like whipping motion and my phone <laughs> fell out of my hand and she's like, and you swear there's no Slytherin and you. Damn. So I harsh. hit my poor little Hufflepuff sister with an iPhone 5. Um, but back to Lucius. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, um, that whole scene with the Hagrid and Dumbledore, him taking them all out, I mean, it just shows you how much power he does have over, like, over people. Because we later find out that he actually threatened to jinx every other governor and everything like that. He does get his... Small come up in at the end of this book with getting kicked off the board and everything like that. But in all the other series, he still has a lot of pull at the ministry that can still mess with Hogwarts. Yeah, Galenians talk. Uh, but my whole, I actually had a question. Um, you know when in the third book, I'm jumping ahead, like Drago gets uh, slashed by the hippogriff? Yes. How come, like he's all like, oh, my father's so close with the governor's. Like, Draco makes it sound like he's still on the board of governors. Did he really get kicked off? Or was it, like, a thing that, like, he got kicked off, but he still has sway? Like, I was just reading it, like, yesterday, so that's why. He may have, but, like, it definitely seems, it never seems really definite in the, in, in, uh, at least in the books, they never seem like, because Dumbledore brings it up, like, it seems like, um, uh, like, like oh, it seems like they're going to be jinxed and everything like that, and he's like, and kind of like Lucius doesn't outright admit it, and he's just kind of like, <sighs> he 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 admits it without really admitting it, and but then, like you said, it brings up like maybe he hasn't told his son that he's off the boards or anything. He doesn't want oh, doesn't want to admit a defeat to his son about anything. That would make sense. That would. That would explain a lot, actually. Played by Jason Isaacs. I was trying to. I was oh, just like, there we go. Uh, uh, who did a fantastic job? Oh, I, mean, I think he was yes. perfect. I don't. I honestly think that was exactly what I imagined. And I think, especially in the Harry Potter universe, it's probably the hardest thing to pick what people imagined uh, with their casting. And I think he was probably hands down one of the best that they did. Right. I mean, I. Th- I mean, like one of the casting that I'm kind of questionable on is Bella Strick. Lestrange. Oh, I love... You know what, actually? But I'm biased. I'm a very big Tim Burton girl. Like, she can do no wrong. But I still think her best performance is in Big Fish. Yes. But I also think uh, for such a... First of all, you have to get someone who's out of their fucking mind. So, right there. Tough. And then you you have to get someone who can take over the role without overshining the role. Mm-hmm. So I think she was such a good 
pick with like, Helen Bond Carter. Yeah, like I, I honestly think like for someone you need a, it's a dark character. It's a dark character who doesn't see themselves as dark. They just see themselves as right. Mm. And so she's she's just a perfect pick for me. Uh, one of the castings I wasn't huge on, um, I didn't really like Gildery Lockhart. You didn't like Kenneth Branagh? No. I feel like he's such a good job. But you know what? I never really liked Kenneth Branagh in anything. Like, I Not like him as a director. Like, I don't like him as an actor. So I think... Uh, like, I like his Hamlet. There's just so many pompous fucking people that you could especially like british actors that you can cast as gildery lockhart i don't know but it's it's something like because he's playing a very over-the-top character i think that's probably why they casted him Mm -hmm. and like with the character of gildery lockhart being a fraud and being so in love with himself Mm -hmm. there are a few moments of like there's a moment of fear and trepidation before they're like oh Weren't you saying, Lockhart, you knew the entrance to the Chamber of Secrets oh, all that's my favorite part. Along. They called him out on it. And he's like, well, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I got it. Good. I would like to see that. Ho, ho, They ho. had me dying. Like, I was literally laughing out loud while my boyfriend was driving and I'm reading Chamber of Secrets. Like, when they're like, oh, now that we got him out of the way, let's actually get down to business. Right. Um, You know what? piss me off is so like he's so uh like obviously a fraud like how come nobody calls him out on it sooner including dumbledore now dumbledore ain't stupid dumbledore knows like i you gotta give dumbledore credit because dumbledore can a pretty good judge of character but he doesn't get gildery lockhart well they did admit that um not many people were willing to take the job. Hagrid does say that he, Gilroy Lockhart was the only applicant for the job, and it's either hire Gilroy Lockhart or move Snape to the defensive against the art, dark arts position to hire a potions master. Couldn't Dumbledore have done it? Couldn't, didn't Dumbledore not, do it when he transfi- he's a transfiguration? That's his official title. title. He does transfiguration. Theoretically, he could. Oh, true. But I don't think. But he never. He, they always call him Professor Dumbledore. Yeah, he doesn't teach anything. He because he used used to. to I mean, you call him Headmaster like, Dumbledore. When you think about it, Dumbledore probably could have filled this position. Yeah, he probably would have been pretty. Really as good well as like how the especially in Part Six, we know he could definitely have done the Defense Against the Dark Arts teaching <laughs> with how his dealing with the Horcruxes and tracking down Tom Riddle's history. Yeah, I, I don't know because I, I, I feel like. That could be just hindsight talking and Rowling knowing, like, oh, she has to fill pages at a certain point. And, like, got to think of something. So maybe that's why Gilderoy Lockhart. Like, I enjoy Gilderoy Lockhart, even though how annoying he is. He's always entertaining, oh, totally. even though he's pretentious, Dakota. Like, I love – I just love how in love with him himself. Like, this guy has – Portraits of himself hanging in his own office, and his portraits are by far some of the funniest things ever because they have like the reactions that are needed when they're all sleeping. They have curling uh, hair nets and like curl it, curlers in, and then when someone comes in, they're all like ducking out the thing because they're like, "Oh my god, don't see me! I'm not dressed." And there's how I just love how horrible he is. It's just like, <laughs> I mean, come, I mean. Him giving Harry advice about taking Harry, Harry, I knew it was myself to blame after their incident and um, 
uh, the bookshop give you a little taste of fame and then you just want more but and no more. professor that's not what about I, harry, 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 harry 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 i just loved how it's written because it's like 15 harrys in a row and you're just listening to it and you just see him in your mind with that big grinning smile is <laughs> harry 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 where'd you go <laughs> I, I feel like that would happen at one point like He's just like, Harry, 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 looking up to this guy, look back down and make eye contact and be like, though, Harry, I think there's something that you have to give him a little bit of credit to. True, he, he had to do a lot of work for that, for his books. Mm -hmm. He literally had to go find these people, listen to what they did, and also study what they do and how they did it. Just so he knows exactly what to write. Mm. And then he has to convince them <coughs> that he needs the he, so, what? I don't know why you're laughing so hard. <laughs> oh, no, it's just, you have to set the roll going. And, and then just calm. You know what? I'm going home. Sorry, <laughs> Sitting on a red light. <laughs> Harry, Harry, yeah. Look, it's the snakes. I, it's not me. We're not even talking about the snakes. The snakes. Don't have to. Why do we have the to be snakes? snakes. Asps. Very dangerous. You go first. You go first. Right. I no. told you it'd be all right. But no, I have to give it because he has to be very cunning and he's also very... He is very intelligent about how to exactly get what he needs out mm -hmm. of people. He's very manipulative. So that kind of makes me feel like he, if he was at Hogwarts, wouldn't he be a Slytherin? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, but what was his actual house? Do we know? Did they ever tell you? My gut says Hufflepuff. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking that, too. But, you know, that goes back to my theory that everybody has a secondary house because you're right. I mean, there is a tremendous amount of work. I, I wouldn't call it intelligence for, for getting what he wants. Um, it, it's really manipulative. And that's the quote of the house, really. Like, it's whether you can manipulate and bend to your will mm. is a mark of a true Slytherin. Mm. And since, all right, let's talk about one person I wanted to, <laughs> all right, sorry, everybody, we're grabbing water right now because we're all kind of dying right now. No, I'm good, thank okay. you. Oh. No issue over here. <laughs> um, excuse us, folks. I'm totally I'm, editing this I'm part. totally Googling what house, uh. Gildery Lockhart was in. Okay. And um, you know what? It was kind of funny because I was also, uh, I had mentioned this before we started the podcast. So I was trying to figure out like the lineage of uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers. Um, you know, Gildery Lockhart starts when we actually know the first names of the, like the professors that take over because I literally could not remember Quirrell's first name and I had to Google it and it's like Quirrius or something. And I don't remember that ever being brought up in the first book. So, like, it goes from, it's, like, Professor uh, Quirrell, and then it goes Gildery Lockhart. Then it's, um... Remus Lupin. Remus Lupin. Then it's... Oh, Man my God. Thank you. Man, I'm... Or Alastair Moody. Uh, Ala is it Alabaster? Or... No, there's definitely no B in there. Google. <laughs> I know. Jumping ahead right now, I know, like, we've been doing a very big tangents, but that's the point of podcasting. I know, yeah. Um, a lot of tangents. Man-Eye Moody and Goblet of Fire. I know we were jumping ahead to that <sighs> book. I love Moody. Both But he's movies. not... Yeah, I was going to say, he's, he's not... 
Wow. I'm wow. a sore loser today. I, I mean, a sore winner, I mean, because I'm winning. <laughs> ah, winning. Ah, tiger's blood. AIDS. Ah, winning. Um, <laughs> that's, that, I can see that's when he went up to the jerseys talking to him. I can't. It's not funny. He oh. was a Ravenclaw. Lockhart was a Ravenclaw. Go figure. Really? That's, yeah. I mean, you're right, but it's more manipulative than intelligent. But then again, Ravenclaws, they're intelligent, but they're also, they can, they're like the lawyers of the wizarding world. They can, they can talk be their way. Yeah. Because even, you remember Penelope when, uh, uh, Harry and Ron were Crabbe and Goyle. Like they were like, "Oh, what way to our our common room?" And she's like, "Our common room. I'm a Ravenclaw." Like so, like fuck off. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly. Um, Who are you even talking to me about? God. Yeah, Go. that's why she's dating Percy. Like that's why they're together. I don't know why you made her sound like a Kardashian right there. Like, oh my god, stop talking to me. Maybe she was a Kardashian. Maybe she's a Kardashian wizarding cousin. Totally I'm sorry. No. Yes. Hufflepuffs, babe. Why would you call? Why would you say they're they're Hufflepuffs? Rather? Because they try too hard. Hufflepuffs try too hard. They want to be noticed. Um, the only thing difference between Kardashian and like any other like don't get me wrong because like, Kardashians are like my guilty pleasure. Like I can watch them nonstop, and I know way too You're much wrong about with them. America. Thank you. <laughs> um, but meanwhile, I'm over here like lecturing about Hunger Games and Game of Thrones. <laughs> so, so clearly, yes, I'm the problem. Um, but the thing, the only difference between Kardashians and every other good-looking family in America is that they got the fame, and um, so they really are like they're the Cedric Diggory's of Hufflepuff House. Like they literally. But Diggory had skill. And he had honor. But they have business savvy. Oh, for I will sure. Make this argument. Like I do this all okay, the time. Okay. People fight with me all the time. How about everyone in the Kardashians are Hufflepuff except Chris? She is. She's, she's by totally far. She has her fingers in literally everything, and she's selling out her daughters like whores. I wouldn't be quite so rough about it, but yeah, no, I would definitely. Agree. She's totally Chris using is a Slytherin. Them. Um, you can, and you could definitely say that uh, Caitlin would, Caitlin, uh, and prior transition Bruce would be Hufflepuff. Totally. Like, um, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Robert Kardashian, like senior, death a Slytherin. Totally. So. Yeah. OJ Defender. Yeah, so there we go. That's another tangent. <laughs> Let's get back to Harry Potter and the yeah, Chamber no, of I'm, Secrets. I'm surprised that um, Gilderoy Lockhart is Ravenclaw. Right? Isn't that weird? Uh, that's a Harry Wiki. Uh, that's their their answer to that because I didn't think I was going to be able to find it, and I don't remember it ever being. It I'm was trying never to, mentioned. Yeah, I'm trying to see if it like how they got that. Um, this was something J.K. Rowling said. Yeah. I would, he's like Hufflepuff Slytherin. See, yeah, I would have, I would have probably went Hufflepuff for the same reason I go uh, Kardashians with Hufflepuff. Is that you know they're one of those people that want to be seen so much and they try so hard in order to do so. And I also feel bad for Gilderoy Lockhart in later books when they go to Saint Mongo's Wizarding Hospital and he's slowly getting his memory back, but only but barely at that, and he's. But he's happy as a clam. Yeah, but what kind of life is that, though? For him, Ugh, I mean, he's happy, though. I know, and, and, the, and not, they, they keep him happy. They keep him happy. He, sign, he still signs autographs and sends, like, thank you letters to his fans, even though he has no idea who he is or what, why they're writing to him. 
but he's happy, and this is where he should be, like, like, yes, it's sad looking at what he... Does he deserve that? What he does, does he deserve the punishment you he gets? You can argue yes or no, because he destroyed other people's lives. It's true. So, How many families he must have affected to get his name for? Yeah. I mean, he wrote several books, so each book... Each book is maybe one story or several collective. So he maybe a and each person lives. has their own family that they all. Do. Uh, so yeah, he kind of he's a bad he's not a good person. No, he's definitely if we were have a barometer of like Harry on one side, Voldemort on the on the other, he's in the middle. I wouldn't even say in the middle. I would say more towards dark dark side of the force. <laughs> He's no Lando Calrissian, that's for <laughs> sure, with his <laughs> Kill 45 uh, alcohol. Kill 45. You want to know who else is Ravenclaw that yeah. I didn't know? Who? Quirrell was a Ravenclaw. But that makes sense. See, that doesn't make sense to me, because here's another one I would have thought was a Slytherin. No, because he was not bad in nature at first. Was... But you don't meet him until after he's already been possessed by Voldemort. Yeah, but he's corrupted by Voldemort because all he does is when he first set out in his world, he is book smart. He knows everything about dark arts and creatures through books. And he has no experience, but he has an ego, which kind of describes a Ravenclaw. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's what fair. was what was Dumbledore? He was he was Gryffindor. Was he Gryffindor? I okay, he was Gryffindor. Because even they have Flitwick as a uh, Ravenclaw. Um, they have uh, Sybil Trelawney. She she wouldn't be a Ravenclaw. I could see that. I could see her struggling as a Ravenclaw because I feel like anybody who's gifted as a seer or, you know, quote unquote gifted um, as a seer would struggle in any of the houses. Mm. I, I think your power is beyond what the four founders uh, expected for their houses. Just out of my curiosity, what's Umbridge? Well, we're talking about that. Let's talk about the entire crux of the story is that. An ancient creature has been at least from the Chamber of Secrets, a mythic place where Salazar Slytherin had set up for him for his own dark arts. And apparently it is the home of a monster that is being unleashed on the, the mm-hmm. students. The like we're an hour into we're getting into the plot of the book itself. Yeah, the king of all serpents, the basilisk. Like, which we do not know yet. But I think it's like it, this is the closest thing to a horror story. Within the Harry Potter, universe. Harry Potter universe, within these books, sure you can argue of like the, the omens that he sees in Prisoner of Azkaban, and the mentors sucking your soul out. Yeah, but like that has more of an action-driven ending, right? Yeah, this is a creature that you don't see until the very end, and it can come out at any time. Yes, Nikki. Sorry, Umbridge is a Slytherin. I Does knew. that surprise anyone? And uh, at the time that she was a Slytherin, Horace Slughorn was the head of her house. Which also does not surprise me, because she was probably coddled by Slughorn, and that's why she's so fucking evil. But Slughorn's not evil by nature, no. though. Uh, Slughorn's evil by power. Uh, Slughorn and Lucius Malfoy have a lot in common. A lot in common. Yeah, but Lucius, nothing, Lucius I feel, would want to be noticed as, like, yes, I am here. But Slughorn, at the same time, was kind of like, I know these guys. That's all I'm, the look, I'm, all I'm looking for is to say... I know them. I'm not like he's a name dropper. Of, he's a name. He's a name dropper. He's not in front of everyone like Lucius is. True, because even if you think about it, Slughorn would have technically had a more rapport uh, with young Voldemort than uh, Lucius would have, because Slughorn was a teacher when Tom was a student. 
So hmm. I know this is the Chamber of Secrets podcast. Yeah. But we've well, still- I mean, if we go back to Tom, uh, Tom Riddle, Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, uh, no, no, I was since we brought the Basquist, yeah. I thought they'd be going, but they'd be tied together. Freaking hate the Basquist. You know what I was thinking about when I was reading this and hating my life because it's all about snakes. Um, <laughs> how does a big giant snake slither around the halls of Hogwarts in the pipes, like Hermione points out, and gets out, but still gets into the hallways, and nobody goes, "Hey, there's a giant snake trail in the freaking hallways of Hogwarts." I don't know about you, but where is that giant hole? Where where that hole in the wall came from? How does the snake get out? And how, do and like Hogwarts plumbing is really that large that I mean, yeah, but it's just, it's essentially just like it's like tiny pipes feeding one giant fucking hole that leads to the bowels of the school. I think of like you remember in Nightmare Before Christmas when they shove Santa Claus down the pipes and they just extend for him, just like two, 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 <laughs> like that. That's the, that's the Pascal's forcing with he he has to build up speed to get out. He's like one. Two, okay, I three, can and he heaves himself out, out the pipes. He's even like, oh, like, kill, kill, like, kill, kill, kill. Like, so, like, maybe that's him building up momentum, yeah. you know? Like, uh, that was, like, kind of, like, my biggest fear, too, reading it. Like, um, like I would remember when I would read this, like, I would wake up middle of the night and would be convinced the pillow that I had, like, been sleeping on was the Bethelist. Like, this, you, you, like, really underestimate, like, how much this book, like, peeves and gets under my skin which is why it's one of the books out of all the series that i've read the least mm-hmm. um but that bothered me it bothered me that one not only is the chamber that big but this snake was able to navigate these hallways so easily meanwhile aragog who theoretically would be kind of the same size just in different you know proportions was caught like the second he tried to go anywhere like they knew like he was living in a freaking cupboard so like i don't really understand the uh the dimensions that go but then again it's hogwarts and things change like the staircases don't stay the same so theoretically couldn't the pipes like oh man the feast was pretty big today let's extend the pipe size to accommodate like i don't like i don't really understand that and I, i don't think it's really been addressed in anything that i've read and also i didn't really go seeking out answers because i don't really want to know how snakes of that big and legendary status go sliding around the basilisk <laughs> climbed through a river of shit over 500 <laughs> yards that's always five football fields for you <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry, like the Chamber of Secrets is attached to, obviously, the sewage system, which leads underneath the lake. Wouldn't the mer people be, like, pissed off at Hogwarts? Like, God damn it, Dumbledore! Like, well, can't you put your shit elsewhere? No. Literally? They probably magical plumbing. Like, <laughs> I, I wish. Because there's, there's a freaking mer village down there. Like, they're not just dumping out, like, magical poo. Like, there's got to be something. Glitter coming off <laughs> it and stuff like that. You know, like, Rainbows. There's got to be something else going on there. Renewable energy right there. <laughs> well, even the giant squid. Like, the giant squid's just like, maybe that's what he eats. Maybe that's why he's so giant. There's Skelligro up in that bitch. Like, I don't know. But, yeah, that's... And even, you know what? Uh, another thing about the chamber that bothers me... Um, Nobody who went into – because when you think about it, 
women's rooms tend to be very hard to find. Like I went to Hashira and if you go to the library, it's almost impossible to freaking find what floor the women's room on. You have to like go up and down. You're like running around. Like awful. It's so awful. It's just an awful school. All you perspective collegians. Um, but (laughs) hashtag not sorry. Right. (laughs) Sorry. Sally Mae owns my first board because of, uh, Hashira. So I'm not sorry, but, um, (laughs) Like, so, theoretically, here's a bathroom in prime locale that, yeah, there's a crying ghost, but when you gotta pee, you gotta pee. Like, there's, like, there's women who have peed in sketchy gas station bathrooms, like, because you gotta go, you gotta go. So, like, you mean to tell me, in 50 years, nobody has ever tried to use the sink that has a little snake on it, and nobody was like, hey, why is there a little snake on this sink? Like, something doesn't strike me as okay. Or it could have been just like, eek, oh, what's the next one? Oh, like, you just, well, I mean, you peed already, so, like, you're over the, like, frustrated. Now you're just like, oh, everything's good, and let me wash my hands. Like, you had to realize, especially if there's a snake etched in, even, like, you're thinking, it's through a 50-year period of time. So, these kids are at Hogwarts for seven years. You mean to tell me in seven years nobody freaking noticed in their careers at Hogwarts that there's a little snake etched on the side and didn't think like, oh, oh, the chamber. But it's also like one of those things they could be just another part of Slytherin pride, which they they could be things that are just dedicated. Yeah. Or it could be something that's dedicated to Ravenclaw, like a statue or something like that. It's probably like one of those things. Like, Oh, okay. That's just maybe somebody from Slytherin etched that in. In a bathroom? You know what I mean? Like, there's statues, and that makes sense, but in a bathroom. Go on. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> just just <laughs> hogging the mic. I'll <laughs> take the mic. I know. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm too bad. Um, no, you, to go with your point, uh, they said that the whole entire castle was investigated, mm-hmm. and including Dumbledore investigated. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think that Dumbledore would have painstakingly went around to every single ghost and say, hey, mm-hmm. ever notice anything fucked up weird? And Moni Myrtle's still there in the same bathroom stall that she died in. And Dumbledore would have been like, is convenient. That that that, and it's also the convenient that the, they hang out the entire year there. And then they realize that's the entrance. Yeah. That doesn't bother me as much as like, because they're 12 year olds, they're 12 year olds and they're very like uh tunnel vision on like what they're trying to do. And but, this is, that's also the target demographic she's aiming for. Yeah. Too. Cause like even, um, you know, not that Murning Myrtle is the easiest to get information out of because she's always freaking moaning and wailing and boohooing. But, like, <laughs> you mean to tell me nobody said, like, hey, Myrtle, how did you die? Like, why are you crying, girl? What's wrong? Like, somebody, some innocent little first year who didn't know the toilet was haunted had to have gone in there and nobody thought. Like, how many people asked nearly headless Nick how he became nearly headless? Everybody. Yeah. And, like, given Nick's a very friendly ghost, like, he's almost like Casper on a scale of ghosts. Like, you're not going to go up to the Bloody Bear and then be like, hey, Bloody Bear, how'd you get your chains? But, (laughs) 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 like, she's just crying. She's not threatening. So, like, I don't get how... And, you know, what? I can get between from when Slytherin was at Hogwarts to when Tom Riddle. I get that because nobody's really... Nobody really thought about it. Mm -hmm. But after the chamber was open... And now you have a, a time lapse, especially if somebody went to jail. Like, you have a 50-year time lapse. Nobody was inquisitive. Like, there had to have been another Hermione 
uh, whether in any kind of shape or form, whether it's a guy, a girl, like a, a Hufflepuff or Ravenclaw, like somebody had to be smart enough to be like, hey, there's more to this. I don't have enough homework. Yeah, like let me investigate yeah, or this. Just simply like any professor, teachers at that time of the murder, they know who died and they obviously can see her ghost is there. So why not the fuck? Hey, what happened to you? And you figure, like, now I'm pissed off by this plot. It's like, damn it, Dumbledore was there. He could have done this. And And like, hey, that's her ghost. Let me ask, what killed you? What if, like, what even Slughorn could he investigate? Because then he'd been like, hey, I'm the person who solved the case of the murder girl at Hogwarts. I'm famous now. Everybody. No, 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 no. no. Slughorn would have got, would have latched onto the person who solved it. Yeah. That's true. He would not have solved it himself. I mean. Slug club. Would have been in the slug club. (laughs) And so, do you, okay. Now, you have to reiterate for me because it it was was a couple, like maybe like two months ago when I listened to it. Why did he set up in the chamber in the first place? Just to do his own dark arts Experiments on it. Salazar oh, Slytherin. Sli- oh no, Slytherin wanted his own uh, space, and he wanted a way that to. Uh, he wanted a way to. Uh, oh my god. The, yeah, like in order to purify Hogwarts, so he basically was like, "Hey, I can talk to snakes. This is really rare in the Wizarding world. What magical creature can I put in here? You're not gonna put a dragon in if you can talk to snakes. So." And, you know, dragons, oh, Gringotts has those. Got to get something different, so let's get a giant freaking snake. And so he's like, what can live for a very long time? Uh, when I leave Hogwarts, what can withstand me not being here, me not feeding it? And it's it's going to be a snake. Like, snakes are really self-sufficient, which is why they're so freaking scary. <laughs> and um, so he left it knowing that one day his heir will come to Hogwarts and can finish what the whole reason basically that he kind of got ostracized and not that he got kicked out because he didn't like they he left were, on his own accord yeah he left on his own accord um but he, i think he felt he had to like he was kind of like uh he was kind of like a, a lucius in this like he felt so strongly about his own convictions that he was too blind to see everyone else's and he didn't understand why like rowena and helga and godric were like not all, because Godric and Salazar were like BFFs. Like, can you imagine like you're fighting with your BFF over like blood rights? Like, it's not an easy. Like, it's like, oh my god, my best friend's voting for Trump and I'm voting for Bernie Sanders. Like, this is gonna get weird and it's gonna get weird quick. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what happened between those two, which is why he left and he knew, uh, he wanted a safety net. He wanted a safety net for his Slytherin values in in case, because that's a very Slytherin way of thinking too. Like, if I leave. How is my name going to live on? Right. Whereas, like, Helga, you think Helga Hufflepuff came up with, like, a chamber of, with, like, a mysterious monster to kill no. people? <laughs> like, she was probably like, oh, my God, like, I'm leaving. It's totally cool. Bring anybody else in who wants to stay. Like, Helga was probably, like, the coolest of all of them, to be honest. Like, Helga would be my friend. Dakota? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I just feel bad. <laughs> yeah, I just have nothing. It's okay. Well, it, it seems like, all right, you have to speak, Apostle Master. I assume the snake just hisses at the door and the door just opens. Yes. After hearing the call of the, to cull, culling the herd, as a word, from the diary. I know, it's pretty she much just what. stands there with the dinner bell. Woo! Stand up! Rush! <laughs> 
You see, you see the Salazar's of the Moon. He's like, he's just pushing against the statue. Open up quicker. Okay, I can slip it out. All right, here we go. He has to get through that. There's a, there's a, I'm stuck. Someone go get the Drano. <laughs> now, since you brought up before Blood Rights, this is the first book that brings up prejudice in this mm-hmm. with the idea uh, of mud bloods half like what some would consider half breeds or pure bloods mm-hmm. Dakota, your feelings on this kind of new dimension to the wizarding world it adds it does add depth yes it does add like okay well obviously the wizarding world is not immune to all sorts of prejudice and rape racism and all that stuff mm-hmm. so it shows that yeah there's some people that think oh well i'm pure of blood my, both my parents were wizards all their parents were wizards so it's I'm pure blood. What are you? Oh, my mom was a witch and dad's a accountant. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, you're you're in you're inferior. I like how it, but it adds so much depth to it, and it also it kind of makes it even better that Hermione is a Muggleborn because how she is being like the one of the best wizarding minds out of the entire Hogwarts class just kicking ass with all our grades and like just learning picking up this so quickly while other purebred wizards or like neville is struggling struggling with certain things mm-hmm. i just think it's a great like adds so much depth into that world no i i agree with that entirely because um and 12 is when i really think you can start giving these like more complex themes to i think 12 year olds uh i think are often underestimated i think these are like these are young adults unfortunately like uh, you know we treat them as like kids but they're not anymore like they're they're starting to get these adult themes uh just in real life so when you have a book like this that introduces something like race into the mix and how people are really just um you know there are privileges that are granted to one above the other um and in such a ingenious way because you love her. at this point, you know. Even if Hermione annoyed you in the first book, like you kind of love her now. Like she, yeah. she redeemed herself from any wrongdoing in the first book. Um, so for someone to, and especially, I think, you know, there are people who really love Draco and you know what he stands for. But I do think when Draco turns around and says mudblood to her, um, I, I think everybody that strikes a chord with anybody. It doesn't matter what you feel about Draco. It doesn't matter what you feel about Hermione. It's like, oh my god, did he? really just say that like and she is so talented even um like you said with neville like neville uh even said like did they i feel like they did say maybe he thought he was a squib yeah because they they uh he identified with filch because filch was a squib and yeah yeah, it was that book okay because you know i just finished the second i'm I'm rereading the third so i didn't know if i was crossing him over but you know harry finds out that he's taking these magical courses now harry doesn't know any you know he's not the wiser but you know someone like ron's like no like that's it's kind of like a big deal that you're you can't do magic and neville's like oh i totally get it because that's what they thought i was and you know you look at neville's career up until you know the later books neville really does strike a chord like you're like how did this kid perform enough magic to get in there um like even i I just read in the third book like his potion was so bad it was supposed to be like a bright green and it was like orange yeah um and so hermione was like trying to help him and like had to do it out of like side of her mouth and like snape still took points out Mm -hmm. um 
yeah, know it all that everybody calls her know it all. Because even uh, like it just, and even the way Hagrid approaches it, I think Hagrid talking to these young kids handled it in such a way. Like he's like, so he's been on the end. They were seeing yeah, he's a half breed. You know, here's someone who's part giant, part wizard. Like that's that's rough, and you, I mean, you see that come to a freaking boiling head, and and that's why I hate Umbridge so much because of that. Like she's so against that. Okay, <clears throat> because of the whole Umbridge thing, how does werewolves get part pointed into um, half breeds? Because they're not, as far as I know, no, there's no werewolves that are born werewolves. They're just they're bitten they and are, contaminated. But not as many. There are werewolves that are born, but it's not common. Um, they fit into half-breeds because they're just as ostracized as a half-breed. So uh, as much as Hagrid's looked upon kind of strangely, uh, same thing with uh, what's the leader of the the uh, the French name, the school that Fleur de Corps is oh, from? Oh, crap. Uh, Madame. Madame la 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 la. I literally can picture her face in the movies, but yeah. I can't picture her name. But she's another one. Like, she won't admit Looking that she's now. a half-breed because it's such a, it's like a, the, what is it, the word where, uh, faux pas? Is that? Faux pas. Thank you. Um, so, she won't admit it. Like, you, you know she is. Like, there's no way you are humanly that big. Uh, without That's one being... big woman. Thanks, yeah. Seamus. <laughs> so, you know, it's, werewolves are just as shunned, which is, um... You see that with Remus Lupin when it, it is come out that he is a werewolf. And it's the one thing that, like, Draco's the one who introduces this fact and he uses the word mudblood against Hermione. And everybody reacts to it. And it's kind of like you could use it as somebody using a derogatory term about somebody's race mm-hmm. or or sexuality and everything like that. But it almost seems like since they are 12-year-olds and they are, like, young adults, it seems like something he heard I just said it for the sake of it. I don't think so. You think he? he think I think he if truly... it was any other wizard, like if uh, if Seamus threw it out, uh, even you know what? Even if Crab did, Crab threw it out because Crab's so freaking dumb. But Draco, I think from the minute he could walk, they were bl- like bludgeoning that into him. Like you are pure blood. Don't let those mud. Like don't associate. Like. Any other kid, like, uh, it's almost kind of like if you were, like, the kid of, like, a Ku Klux Klan, like, Supreme member. Right. You would, from the get-go, like, there is no doubting that you don't know what that means because that's all you're taught. Right. Ready for the name? So it's Madame Olymp Maxime, uh, the headmistress of the uh, Rex Badams Academy of Magic. I, I know I butchered that. I know it <laughs> it's supposed to come out a lot smoother, but I can't pronounce it. But your feelings? Do you feel like Malfoy's? Do you think he truly meant the intention of that word? He truly meant it, and I not mean, just saying it for the sake of it. For if it was a different character, like Nikki said, if it was a different character, just like oh, mud blood. I mean, it's like as a kids, we all said really horrible words yeah. because we had no idea what they were. Yeah, I mean, until someone told you that's a horrible word. I think. Malfoy has been so brought up with it, and he's, it's so ingrained into him that he knew exactly what he wanted to say, and he knew exactly how to say it. 
I, it, well, we made awkward hand contact. <laughs> it threw me off. I know. It was just like a weird. Um, <laughs> but just going to another pure blood family who would not have been drilled into it. The Weasleys are pure bloods. Mm-hmm. Weasleys are pure bloods. And here's Ron who literally ends up cursing himself in order to, uh, you know, to take vengeance on the fact that Malfoy called her a mudblood. Like that's a family who knows their pure blood. And knows that it's really not all that's cracked up to be. And then there's Malfoy who's... But he's also kind of related to Malfoy's... Yeah, but they're like... It's one of those things where they were blasted off the map. You know what I mean? So, like, uh, it's almost kind of like... I'm trying to think if I have a cool analogy, but I really don't. So I'm just going to pass on that one. All right. (laughs) One of the best things about this book series is the use of Quidditch in them. What are your feelings on the Quidditch matches in this book? Is it it just the one match? Is it just the one when he gets injured? And you're feeling on it. Oh, my God. It was so funny. So funny to me that, like, the snitch was right by Malfoy's head. But he was so busy being Malfoy and, like, mouthing off and, like, taunting that he didn't realize, like, here's this snitch by my freaking ear. Probably and buzzing in his ear. All he could have done was like this and ended the game. So here he is. They buy these new beautiful Nimbus 2001s, right? And if they get, like, the whole team. Now, this is a team besides Malfoy that's pretty, like, they're up there in skill. Like, yeah. even, the, you know, the first book they say, like, Slytherin's a force to be reckoned with. Malfoy, not so much. Malfoy literally bought his way on the team, which is exactly what Hermione called him out on. And so the fact that, you know, Harry has this match, still manages to catch a, the snitch, and then his arm gets broken. And this is the part that skews me out, like, besides the snakes, this is the second part that skews me out the most. Like, he had to regrow his bones. (laughs) Like, can you, like, anybody who's had a broken bone knows how painful it is. So, like, imagine you have to times that by, like, 30 to regrow the bone because Gildery Lockhart's all like, oh, I couldn't do it. But, like, no, put your smile away, Gildery Lockhart. You can't (laughs) fix it. Yes, but the uh, bones are no longer broken. Broken? There's no bones left. He's extremely flexible now, though. I, I would just, I would just start slapping things. I would just start slapping people. It's like, <laughs> why, why am I squeezing arm? <laughs> Your feelings on this Quidditch match? Uh, it was, it's totally necessary for the story because it gets, um, it kind of shows that the, the teachers, at least, that it's not Harry doing all this shit going on in the castle. No. Because he was in the uh, hospital wing the entire time when um, Colin Creevy gets attacked. Yes. But just moving it and also how um, Dobby is still trying pathetically to save Harry's life by trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. Like, it better be me that... He wasn't thinking like, oh, it better be me to kill him than some basilisk. Yeah. Which doesn't know it's a basilisk. He just knows there's something really dark. Really bad. But yes, he's not thinking that. He's just thinking, if I mortally wound him and get him sent home, he'll be safe. He doesn't care if he's a quadriplegic or anything like that. But it's, it's very much like a bad way of doing things. I won't kill you, but I could paralyze you for the rest of your life. Yeah, but you will be safe. Yes. But uh, the quitch match was necessary to move things forward, and it was a little, it was very fun. Um, the movie did a good job, because I don't think in the book Lucius was there. I don't think so. But in the movies, Lucius was there watching his son play Quidditch. Which he would be. He yeah. would be, yes. And, and you see also his investment and when, pay off. And then Malfoy wipes out and Lucius just kind of like 
looks away like, oh my god. I should have pulled out. I, That's actually... <laughs> I, that, I would not have said that. Like, um, I apologize, That's people. actually... Uh, that's something that's in the movies that's not in the books. Uh, it sets you up for later when Lucius is just hands down really disappointed in his son. And, like, Narcissa is so, like, I love my son. He's the mama's boy. But, like, uh, like I, I definitely – I didn't realize until you just said that. And it's been a very long time since I've watched Chamber of Secrets. But – Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, <laughs> until, we, until next time. Um, <laughs> but – the fact that Lucius is disappointed in Draco is a huge thing because that's really why Draco acts the way he acts. He's always seeking this approval that he just can't get at home. Like you guys mentioned before how like he bought his way on the team. Though in the book they do – Fred and George do some spying on the Slytherins' practices and they come back saying he just – I mean, he bought his way on the team, but the kid could fly. He does have some He skill. has they, – they're like really like, okay, one – they're super fast now, and two, Draco isn't just all talk when it comes to being a seeker. He yeah. can he can play, and it's because of Fred and George. I think it's my probably one of my favorite parts about the book about that Quidditch match is when the blood just starts attacking them. Yeah. Fred and George jump into to try and defend him yeah. at the at the cost of them being scored on because they have nobody else to help. Yeah, because, defend the keeper. Yeah, the Fred and George are flying alongside Harry trying to keep the bludger away. Would cost time out. Would like you have to play. The beaters because the chasers are getting destroyed by the other beat uh, uh, by the other bludger. Yeah, and Fred and George are like, no, look at that man! It's trying to kill him. And Harry's like, listen, just keep me keep away because I'm never going to catch the snitch. And then Fred and George are like, you're an idiot, Wood. You just told him to catch the snitch at you at any cost, and he's now going to die because of you. And he's, he's like, we're going to hold you responsible yeah, if anything if he happens. Dies, you're responsible. And yeah, it, I mean, it just shows like how great of like people that Fred and George are, and yes. how they are. Very, oh, they could do consider not Harry not only a teammate but a brother because they're like they both agreed to go spring him from the Dursleys' house in the first place. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, you know, it, I, I love Fred and George. I mean, I, but I, don't I think, think like you this, find this, anyone yeah. that, that doesn't like him. I mean, I think it's like the book book they kind of utilize the least amount. Like maybe that. other than maybe the first one, uh, third one. No, 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 third one they had a good part. Um, yeah, with the yeah the Marauders map. Um, Probably goblet, man. Yeah, goblet. Yeah, at least they have a really good setup of them trying their damnedest to get into the the fifth book. They're like, boom, they're there. They're giving an umbrage, fucking hell. Like they, which is my probably my favorite part of oh, that book. Oh man, that's their glory moment. Yeah, yeah, and like they and actually Peeves, leave a section of it because it's that great. And Peeves give them hell, and they fly away. And he just salutes them. Yeah, and like that's probably one of my favorite Fred and George moments. And I I agree. Like Fred and George are some of the the best uh, defenders of Harry. They really do seem as a. Bro- it's almost like Harry is to Ron as Fred is to George. Like it's and other than the fact that they're not born twins. Like those two are. They're brothers. Yeah. Like you're not separating that bond, and um, and that's they really do like. And Harry wanted to fly solo. He wanted to do the bludgeon by himself, and they were like, "No, like we we want to call like everybody too, everybody other than Wood, because you know you got to give Wood credit. Wood wants his Quidditch match. He wants his Quidditch cup. He could care less about anything else. Yeah. He loves them all as long as he gets the cup. Yeah, and. Go for it, Oliver Wood. Mm. Not mad at you, but like, you know, 
Rather they're like, hello, like we should probably forfeit this match. Like there's something wrong there, which I don't understand how that's not written into like the the rules of Quidditch because you have to imagine like out of all the Quidditch matches in the world, nobody's ever tampered with well, these balls. Well, they say it takes extreme dark magic to tamper with the balls. Yeah, but extreme dark magic is, uh, while it's rare, it's not unheard of. Right. Especially he, at this school. Especially last year, he, the kid got almost cursed off his broom. Like, they should just kind of expect that when Harry's playing, there's going to be something that's a little wonky. <laughs> I, I, I bet you there's a full turnout when Gryffindor plays and when the other, two team, the, other two, the other two schools. There's like two people for Hufflepuff versus like, Ravenclaw. <laughs> Because even you, like the WNBA uh, <laughs> kind of crowds, I'm sorry. If you jump up to the next book too, like you know Harry, they're playing Quidditch and the Dementors come and Harry falls off his broom. Mm-hmm. Like there's always something when it comes to Harry Potter. So like they should like beef up wizarding security, like enchantments for these things. And, and my well, my favorite moments of Prisoner Azkaban is that when he's already learned the Patronus charm. During the Quidditch match, he uses it, thinking it's a Dementors. It's obviously just Malfoy and Crabbe and Goyle. But I love that moment, just him flying like, and wham, hits him with that while he's still... I'm like, that was a cool image <laughs> that we never got a chance to see in the movies. Okay. Best moments and least favorite moments of this book. You start. I oh, now you want... <laughs> Damn it. I'm like, here right. you go. I've been hogging. And then it's right back to me. <laughs> um, okay, well, the least... Yeah, it's really weird. This is not normal for a podcast. Um, normally, I'm like zoning out while you two go on tangents. I think it's because I'm so like adamant about how much I. It's like a song that you don't like, but you know all the words too. So like I, I really understand this book because I can't handle this book. Um, the the thing I like the most, um, I like the dynamic of the trio in this book. Uh, I just feel like they they stand together uh, more so than they were in the first book. Uh, obviously, you'll see that strengthen as it goes on. But, um, yeah, like, just they just seem to work best in this book. Um, especially, like, the minute something happens to Hermione, like, these two fall apart. Like, they're just not together. Um, and then the thing I obviously like the least is that stupid freaking best list. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to tell myself it's like a dragon without wings when I saw the movie just so I could stay in the theater. But the thing, like the chamber, the whole scene with the chamber, I, it's so terrifying to me because one, like I would die because I'd probably look the snake in the eye and be frozen and then die. Um, and like, so this kid is literally fighting a basilisk blind, can't see. And then the basilisk gets blinded by a uh, fox. Who's like the most badass character we didn't talk about. Cause he's not really a character. He's an animal, but animals are characters. Yeah, too. Like they're pretty important in this series. Like Hedwig is like a support system. That's why it's so crucial. When they brought it up like 20 times that she dies. Like she is everything to Harry, like Harry Hedwig. That's how it works. Like Luke and R2D2. They're, married like yeah that. like it's Wait, just was this the book where hedwig at the first half of the book kind of like gave him shit uh well hedwig was like trapped because he couldn't let her out dursley wouldn't let her and then she gave him so much attitude and... i think it was more so like it's just like a, a cage bird no, can't sing like, i think it starts with i th- think that's to, like... more maybe it is three like maybe because it is three act, hedwig comes back and now because like harry's all doom and gloom and then yeah. everyone's kind of starting to rally around him, and Hedwig comes back, and you're like, yes, Harry has balls now. Maybe you're talking about five, because, uh, like, in the third one, 
Hedwig brings like goes and seeks out birthday presents for Harry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if that's necessarily it, because even like when uh, he gets kicked out of the jerseys, like Hedwig arrives at the leaky cauldron before. So maybe it is five because Harry was just a fucking hot mess, and I love five, but like Harry's just a hot mess. Um, but there's also an explanation why he's a hot mess for the yeah, majority. No. Of, and I listen, forgive him. And like, <laughs> not, not that alone. But it is. It does play a part. It, it is puberty and Voldemort's influence, whether unconsciously mm-hmm. or subconsciously. And I was telling you, like, listening to it, I, I text like uh, or message one of you guys. And I'm just like. Like I'm so infuriated with how Harry's right now. Like I feel the pulse in my leg. Yeah, I'm just like, I think you did both of us. And I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm like, I, I should not have this much of a reaction to a fictional character right now that I'm really just getting. It's so funny because my boss had said like the fifth one was her least favorite too, and I was just like, man, like why is everyone hating on the fifth? Like Harry's going through some shit, man. Like. But it's how he. But right, then again, you gotta think if you're so 15 years 15 old. 15 year old is. He just watched someone who became his friend. Like, here's someone who literally died in front of his eyes. His arch enemy is freaking back to full power. And the only defense he truly had, gone. Now he's getting all these weird flashes. His scar is always hurting. Nobody's like, happy. nobody. Yeah, everyone's like, chill the fuck out, Harry. And he's like, no, listen to me. I'm Harry Potter. And they're all like, oh, bye. So, like, he's all over the place. So, you gotta give it to Harry. But yeah, I hate the pass list. Back to <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I do think this book was a giant step up from the first one because it didn't have to ex- go through all um, explaining so much about the Wizarding World because it's kind of continuing. It continues exactly where we left off, mm-hmm. and it's just like okay, you've read the first. It just assumes you read the first one, so you know what you know what the fuck's going on. So now you're you're learning with Harry all this new stuff. So I don't have a problem with that. Um, I like a lot of this book. I mean, I really do. Um, and he does have some weak points, like Polyjuice Potion was really cool, but it was a colossal waste of time. There was no payoff. Uh, Other than just to have them. We know that. that we know that. Because they were hell bent that it was Draco. Like we find out, turn, that he's not involved. Yeah, yeah so but, like I could have been a bigger payoff. Uh, like I can understand why that's frustrating, but like, there is, and the fact that Hermione fucked it up a little bit is also a payoff in its own right because it's like she's brilliant, but she's twelve, mm-hmm. so things go wrong. No, I mean I don't. I'm not saying I hate that. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, if if you have to nitpick at this yeah. book, that's one thing. The payoff wasn't there for the. Po- the buildup of a polyjuice potion. Um, obviously, I hate the Dursleys, so I hate the Dursleys, and Dobby just gave me chest pain. So, just the oh, beginning of the book, I just wanted to. Get, I think I skipped a large portion of it. You have to. Um, you book, well, you don't have to skip, but you have to hate them. And that's crucial for Harry. It's crucial for Harry, and it's crucial for the reader, because if you sympathize in any way with the Dursleys, you're missing a huge part of Harry. But, like, when Dobby destroyed the pudding and everything like that yeah. i just i skipped over that part because it's like i know what's going to happen and i just don't want to feel that like frustration and like horror that harry's going through so i kind of just skipped to the, like and he kind of like yeah i know you're supposed to hate the jersey and stuff like that but it's just kind of like imagine you're in jersey's shoes at that moment and you're just kind of like like oh who else I, do you I, have to blame uh, it's mad it's flat out magic and you do magic yeah, yeah i know it, it kind of it kind of like, like almost just like says it gives him ammunition for the Dursleys to hate him more, and it's, and it's not unvalid. No, and it's just kind of like, 
I, I could have retired on this deal, but no, you and your people fucked it up. Yes. That, it, 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 it only hurts Harry's case of trying to be a normal person within that household. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, man. But, okay. But I really don't think I have, like, a part where it's like, I absolutely hate this until... I mean, there's loopholes. There's plot holes. And, like, yeah, Dumbledore could have asked Moni Myrtle well long ago. Somebody. Anybody. Anybody. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I don't think I would have, like, a thing where I absolutely hate about this book. But I do, like, um, I think my high point is the introduction of Tom Riddle. Because it kind of, like, now... Now, here's Voldemort as a teenager, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, supervillains can be people. Yeah. They're, yeah. They were he, they were young at one point, and he's this tall, good-looking, cunning kid. And it's like, oh. I mean, Harry was going like, this guy's not that bad. I kind of like him. And like what he did with everyone but Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And you saw, and he brought you in you're like oh my god tom riddle you wonder why voldemort the seducer yeah and then only to find out at the very end it's like holy hell this is voldemort and Mm -hmm. it's like thank you book this is just adding so much more to the character of voldemort that we that we didn't really know i mean that's i think especially his middle name yeah uh yeah marvalo which is later paid off in part six part six yes which I think I, I think I maybe like one of my best parts of it is those pensive flashbacks. Yeah, oh, six, but, is, six is a different, different episode. Oh, we'll, yeah, we'll eventually get there. I say like, give me any last things you want to say about that? No, or? just um, at least there's not really too many down points of the second book, and my favorite part is is Tom Riddle. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, I went through a reason why. So I'm good. Um, I probably my favorite parts is because like. If you know me, I I am a huge horror fan, whether it be in horror literature, horror movies, or anything like that. And Rowling takes gothic horror and puts it through the prism of Harry Potter, whether it be the introduction of Aragog, the giant spiders, and like that in the forest, like dealing with gigantic spiders like that. Like I, I'm not like spiders don't really freak me out unless they're of a certain size and if there's a massive amount yeah. of them. But then you have to think it's a massive amount of size and. Uh, all of spiders itself, and, and they and talk too. At least one of them talks, and you're just like, yeah, yeah like, like, and that he's an intelligent person, and he's like, all right, thank you. Um, we're gonna go now, go, and then you just slowly, you're like, oh, and then they start to become aware of the surroundings, and the spiders are just close. Not too often does prey enter thy domain. And you're just like, oh, God. Oh, God, no. And, and the, probably the funniest line in the movie is, can we panic now? <laughs> and then. No, I just love Aragog uh, when he come, when they introduce it. I'm like, Aragog, we found these two here. Is it Tagrid? Now, kill him. Yeah. I was sleeping. God. Even though. One could argue it is kind of like a ripoff of Shelob from Lord of the Rings. I mean, you can say, I mean, the names are similar. Aragon, Aragon. Aragon, and it's a giant spider, and then the giant spider from Lord of the Rings. I mean, but that's part of literature. But, yeah, but the entire, yeah. the entire series, J.K. Rowling takes fantasy, previous fantasy events and, like, incorporates them into the Harry Potter world. So it's, I'm not exactly, like, thinking, like, oh my God, she stole from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. No, it's fine. Um,. And especially then the chamber itself, and how it like how it was described with the 
the parallel of like all the spider uh, uh, snake statues and the gigantic monument dedicated to Salazar Silver and himself, where the basilisk has been dormant for thousands of years at that point. And of course, the the how the description of Tom Riddle when he's transforming into human form and he's not 100% there. Yeah. He's kind of like flickering or something like that. You know, just like they don't do that in the movie. And but he's a solid form. But this is just like something's not right about here. You're not from this world or not from supposed to be. And I really like that. And I really enjoy that story. But I find my least favorite parts of this book, other than like Gilderoy can be a little grating. Colin can be a little much, but that's his character. Um, And I feel like, I don't know. I, I guess like, I guess just the convenience of them being in front where the chamber was the entire time. I mean, it's a setup to be paid off later, yes, but I think it's a little too convenient. And then I, I'm still like still questionable if Gilderoy deserved that, he, despite the families he hurt. It just feels I just feel really bad of his <laughs> his predicament afterwards. But then again, how many families were affected because of his need to be famous? Yeah. And Scholastics and J.K. Rowling, if you are listening to this, uh, since we got Quidditch Through the Ages, Fantastic Beats, Where to Find Them, and then the storybook that we have, just pump, publish like one or two of Lockhart's books. I would From love, his perspective? love to read that. Diary would be a little tricky, but... Uh, I think she could do it, though. I think it would... Uh, what would be really the difference of doing the Diary and Quidditch Through the Ages? You're literally... Here's a character you've pretty well developed. You know... You know Riddle's backstory. You know what he goes through at and, school, and you know what happens after. So you know what point he turns that into a horcrux. So you could literally make a really cool diary. I mean, given Gilderoy Lockhart's books would be fun to read, but I'd rather have my hands on that diary. Um, final thoughts on the book, and it is one of the Harry Potter topic I want to talk about before we finish the podcast, though. Mike's at you. Oh. Now the mic's back at you. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a good. It's a good sequel. It's a very good step up and um, step up, step up. Me personally, I think it, they do go straight up from first, second, third. Um, I, not a secret. My the third book is my absolute favorite. I think it levels off at the fourth and fifth, dips at the sixth, and goes back up at the seventh. Um, so I think it's a really good step up to kind of like gently introducing how dark the series can get mm-hmm. because of how dangerous the basilisk and the setting is and mm-hmm. everything like that. So it gives you a taste of what's to come. Um, great furthering character development of every character. Um, yeah, I think it was just a really good book. And I, yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I agree. Like, in order for me, because I, like I said, I struggled with the first book. The last few chapters sold me. And for this one to have sold me, even though one, I'm afraid of snakes, two, I wasn't crazy about the first book, it it gives a testament to how good of a book it is. Um, you know, as we go on, I only look like the books more and more and more. Um, so was this, you know, number one on my, my spectrum? No. Um, but that's really more so because of the snakes than anything else. Like, uh, everything else, I, you know, I like the characters you learned about. I like what we've learned about, a pre- like, existing characters. I like that you get to see the burrow. I like that you, you know, there's so much more. And uh, we had mentioned it last time that 
they they backtrack without over backtracking because there's nothing worse than reading a sequel and you're like, okay, I already read this. Do I have to skip like five chapters in order to get to the new mm-hmm. stuff? Like if she's gonna backtrack, it's really only like the first it's like chapter. oh like in case you weren't aware, you know Harry's a wizard or like. As we know, like Quidditch plays like this, it's it's like a sentence or two. It's nothing that's so overwhelming that you're like, oh, you know. Yeah, she's assuming that you've read the previous yes, book. book. She's yeah. not following the rule, Stan Lee's rule, of writing comics that every comic is somebody's first comic, and you have to give background information about what's going on within the story itself and the history of those characters when you start reading them. So that's the reason why Spider-Man has these huge moments of just giant thought bubbles that are just exposition. Yeah, I mean, like, that was so much of comic book writing for since the starting of the meeting, but it also was obviously personified when Stan Lee was writing the early comics of Fantastic Four, The Incredible Hulk, and Spider-Man, who you have these, like, monologues within their own mind at that point. As Spider-Man runs through the city on his webs, he thinks to himself... What is Aunt May, the woman that raised me since I was a ch- small child, only to be witness to the, to the killing of her husband, Uncle Ben, who taught me to do all this sorts of shit? He's wondering what she's making for dinner. Those are the first two panels. <laughs> Those are the first two panels. And that's the, that is the first two panels of pretty much every Spider-Man book. And uh, even halfway through, too. Don't forget that. Kirby, we have work to do. God damn it. This is real curmudgeon person. Jack Kirby drawing the comics and stuff you like that. You know what? Stan, I don't give a crap. Spider-Man is going to look like a fairy right now. I don't care. I'm throwing wings on him, and he's going to be purple and pink. I have to explain that, Jack. I can't he do that. He just can't randomly change his colors now, okay? It's going to be like 15 panels to think, oh, I have a college play to attend to tonight and I'm going to be the starring role as the magical fairyland of dust and Spider-Man is going to swing in in his magical fairy outfit and that's going to take like 15 panels to explain Kirby. You just can't do that to me you and I don't think Marvel's going to allow it. It's can't, We can't just have <laughs> webbing in between his arm and his rib and all of a sudden get rid of it and nobody raise a few eyebrows. I always like, like it's there then and now it's gone. Like yeah. what the hell? The same thing with the web shoes being natural and then with the actual cartridges yeah, and stuff like that. that. Moving on. Okay. So I say – Okay. Uh, my... I, I'm allowed to have my Spider-Man moment since you had your – Every other moment. Every other moment in this review. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I feel. <laughs> so and like my final thoughts is like it's, a, it's my favorite of the series. Really? Yeah. I mean I have to listen to Deathly Hollows to give my full respect of how I'd rank them. Um, six is now back up there. Even though six was low on my list, I think six is now, I think maybe my number two. I, I, I have a new appreciation to how six is. As long as, in, I mean, I, I, six for me was the weakest book. I think it makes up for my feelings with number five. And of course we're going to have a verbal duel. About over oh, five. Soon, yeah, when we get further into the series, it's, it's going to be like violent. West Side Story in here at this I mean, point. We'll like, I cannot wait for. When you're a red jet. You're a red jet. One funny cigarettes. Oh my god! <laughs> Did I just that, broke? That happened. <laughs> <laughs> Did I know lyrics to some of West Side Story. Yeah. I know the Maria song. Well, of course. I just met a girl named Maria. Mm-hmm. My dad. I feel pretty, pretty. Oh, so pretty. pretty. I and feel pretty, pretty and witty and, and gay. And I pity every girl who thinks I'm pretty. 
la 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 la. It's not like we're singing <laughs> the sound of music or anything like that. I just saved these, like, this recording as my ringtone. Oh, God. You are 16 going on 17, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Show tunes. Come with me. And you'll see a world of pure imagination. Moving on. I'm trying to think of a one-up song right now. Oh, you can't find one. Never mind. (laughs) Time for (laughs) Hitler (laughs) and Germany. Winter. Well, I was going to bring up that the mouth, like, we grew up the Flukeless Clan and, like, how Malfoy's are pretty Aryan. Anyway, so I don't think. I was actually thinking about dropping Hitler's name in the whole uh, Tom Riddle thing. Because even Hitler had to be a teenager at one point. Yeah. And he probably had ideas and stuff like that. He he wanted striving art students. And to express himself. I want to draw Mickey Mouse. Vez, you are not good at trying Mickey Mouse, so you will not accept it to our Austrian Moving school. on. <laughs> I am moving. I am putting an end to this tangent right now. I say check out the Chamber of Secrets, of course. Now, last thing I want to talk about Harry Potter is that the first teaser trailer for Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them has dropped. I have yet to watch it. And I've done it on purpose. I did it on purpose. Why? I've seen, um, I've seen like some of the promo pictures of stills and stuff. Um, I don't want to watch the trailer, especially since everyone's trying to make me watch the trailer. Like, that's people think Harry Potter and they like push it, you know? Um, I want to go into Fantastic Beasts uh, as fresh mind as I can. And I know that's not, it's going to be impossible. I know I'm going to have to see something at some point. Um, but I, I'm excited for the story. I'm excited for the, what they come up with. And I don't want to put an idea in my head before I go into the movie because I think it'll ruin it. I like how they're showing it in America. Yeah, I mean it's now it's expanding. It's not just the it's not just uh, the UK, France, and where the hell the other um, the other school school was. Um, it there's an American they show an American Ministry of Magic. Mm-hmm. I think it's Department of Magic since it's in America. Mm-hmm. Um, America and. <laughs> the only my only problem is um to be perfectly honest with you the main character is ex- looks exactly like Matt Smith as the 11th doctor. Yeah, but that's also that, um, I mean it's just so like I think able, they could have designed differently make, put a different colored jacket on him at least because the, the tweed jacket looks too much with the fucking hair and everything like that. Doesn't he have like a blue jacket in like one of the posters though? Like long, like a... Like I don't a, know, but in the, like the promo when he opens up the suitcase and then yeah. closes it, it's like tweed. It's like he gotcha. looks like the doctor there. And what do you feel like with Eddie Remy playing uh, the main character? Well, like I just said that he looks exactly like Matt Smith. But, like, has him as an actor, what do you feel I, like? To be honest, I don't have a opinion because I don't really know where he's from. Like, he was, he won an Oscar for... Oh, from, uh, yes. We talked about this. Yeah, we... we Theory of everything. There you we are. did talk about this, yeah, but... And then Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> well, one... Obviously, one of those movies doesn't, shouldn't exist, really. You can't fault anyone that was a part of Jupiter was, Ascending. Yes, because but Jupiter I, Ascending I agreed was just to awful. do with this. Jenny Tatum with wolf ears. Go! 
doesn't. It's like um, what was the movie James Franco was in? It was like Can Hardly Wait or something, um, where he's like literally like strapped to a bed because he's such a douchebag. He says it's like the biggest regret of his career. Like the every. I think he was a can't, uh, can't hardly wait. Not can't hardly wait. It was like one of those other. And, um... It's one of those others like movies that came out right around that time. The same kind of concept. I'll I'll have it for you next podcast. But you got to forgive every great actor for one freaking flunder. Like the movie Aloha. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not the biggest Bradley Cooper fan, but I, I think that, and like, I'll be at first to permit that. Like, I, I just feel like he's such a tool, but he it, plays, I'm, well, if he, he, no, he is. He, yeah, yeah, but Matthew McConaughey has, has he charm. plays charming. Matthew McConaughey plays charming roles. Bradley Cooper just plays douchebag roles because he's a douchebag. I never seen, I have not seen Silver Lines Playbook, so I can't. So good. So good. So good. Um, uh, 18, he was a dick. Joe, uh, Joe, Joy, did you see Joy? I have not, not yet. I'm not like I'm not the biggest David O. Russell fan. I have seen a little bit. Of, he was good in American Hustle. I liked him in that. I'll give you that. But um, Emma Stone, I thought that was a bit of a. I think it was a bit of a bad call to be in that. You could have left that. <laughs> 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 I can see it, but I already but yeah, no, I'm kind. Of, I'm looking forward to bringing it all back. Yeah, We're and David for- Yates helming it. Who he helmed the last few Harry Potter movies. Um, I mean, I, it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, the, the, we got Michael J. Fox sitting next to Dakota right now. I'm just shaking <laughs> uncontrollably to that. I don't know how I feel about David Yates taking on David Yates takes on a very dark perspective and uh, fantastic darkness, beast. sadness. In my opinion, Fantastic Beasts should not be held in a dark light. Um, you know, it made sense for some of the movies to be in a darker perspective, but I don't know. But like I said, fresh perspective, not giving any kind of uh, qualms to the movie until I go see it. But yeah, no, I'm thinking. Um... It's going to be interesting how you're going to take a subject matter of a small book that literally just names creatures. That's really all the book does is just yeah. name these creatures. And, and it's J.K. Rowling's first screenplay. Yeah. So. Like, but home- it makes me feel more comfortable because here's the mastermind of the entire Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Yeah. Back at the helm saying this is what needs to be done. However, she had an editor on those books. Do you really think Warner's is going to really edit her when it comes to this? That's my problem with Tarantino movies today. He has no filter when it comes to creative control of his movies. Sure, 100% of his movies are 100% him. However, look at George Lucas, somebody who should have been there, like somebody (laughs) saying, like, you shouldn't do this, George. That's how the original trilogy was, and the prequels were how it was. I wonder if J.K. Rowling's going to have this kind of hindrances working. Like, this is my first screenplay role, and I created this world. I wonder if one of us is going to be like, J.K., I don't think it's going to be a good idea to do this, yada, yada, yada. Well, I think there's obviously Warner Brothers is going to step in and say, like, we should probably keep it to the Harry Potter formula, even though I think deep down J.K. Rowling just wants to do something completely different from Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is years well well in advance of all the events in harry potter that's going to happen like the potters aren't known voldemort is probably like a little kid at this point if that if that and yeah it's just okay the only person that's probably going to be around that we know of is dumbledore but did we we don't know if he ever went to america though we don't but he did travel a lot that's true you, you never know but 
Yeah, no, it's just gonna, it's going to be interesting. I bet I, we'll see a young Tom Riddle senior at one point, just to please people. I, I doubt it. I uh, yeah. that would take or too much away. Hmm? Or they bring a muggle. I don't know. Maybe he was traveling and stuff a like that. Muggle in America, even better yet. <laughs> muggle in America. America. Let's go. With That's the next movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get no. If you want to do this movie right, you get fucking uh, Robert De Niro in there somewhere via like a cab driver in the middle of New York City. Oh my god, like a Stardust. <laughs> oh. But Star- <laughs> or Stardust just is actually not that bad of a movie. It wasn't. I, just Robert De Niro and Stardust is such an interesting like. Whoa. Yeah, or just get someone with a thick Brooklyn accent and, like, he hops in the car. I need you to go here. Hey, kid, get the fuck down. Charles, okay? Charles Palmieri, because he's doing nothing. He's living off residual checks from mutual suspects in the Bronx Tale. <laughs> hey, kid, get the fuck down. It's I fucking you... midday, midday uptown. I'm not going to get downtown for another three fucking hours, okay? So sit the fuck down <laughs> and draw oh. their data. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know what you just did, kid, but I have a friend. He's his name is Billy the Squirrel. Okay, he's um he runs a cab company. You give him a call, he sets you up. You're set for life. Okay, thank you. I'm gonna be leaving now. Could you get out? Yeah. Um, what a fucking douchebag. <laughs> um, yeah, like one thing is from the reason why I bring up J.K. Rowling is her first screenplay. Like Cormac McCarthy wrote, like. No Country for Old Men, The Road, great books. One of the adaptations was fantastic. The, the road, like No Country for Old Men, one best picture, if I'm not mistaken. The Road was an okay adaptation, but it's also a really depressing book itself. So it's not mm-hmm. going to be an entertaining movie to begin with. So I wonder, and he wrote his first movie was, maybe it was The Counselor, the Ridley Scott movie that was kind of hated by people. Or, like, not seen at all. Yeah, and, like, I watched a little bit of it, and, like, it opens up with, like, Michael Fassbender, Fenelope Cruz in bed, and, like, him, like, hand down there, and just talking about that, and I'm just like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, duh, okay, I'll go with this. Cool. <laughs> and then, so, it's obviously not going to be like that, but I just wonder if sometimes writers can't translate, like, what was it, F. Scott Fitzgerald tried to be a screenwriter and did not work. Well... We've already seen that J.K. Rowling is trying to prove her, already tried to prove herself that she's more than just Harry Potter. Yeah, I mean, she went through this whole trouble of actually getting us a, a fake do, publishing a book series under a fake name, and they were amazing, and people loved them until it was she was outed that she actually wrote the book, and then the writer author doesn't even exist. Mm. I mean, Stephen King did that for years. Yeah, so I mean, she's she's trying to prove her, that she can do more than Harry Potter. And she's getting a chance now to do, go back to her bread and butter, but do, but has the ability to do something completely different with it. Right. So I think she's going to leap at the just being creative with it and mm-hmm. everything like that. And she, obviously, I think Warner Brothers is going to prevent her from doing, changing too much. Mm-hmm. They want to keep the Harry Potter formula, obviously, but it's a chance to actually make the movies, the movie series, a little bit better than what they are. Right. By adding this new original source into it, and it could have the potential to be actually better acted, mm. and also give the fans something. And it's like they're not comparing it to the books. Yes. 
All right. Now, if you want people to follow you on social media after listening to this podcast, if they've if they've listened to it all the way through, <laughs> where can they find you? Uh, well, I'm on Facebook as Nikki Muggle, and I'm on Instagram, Snapchat, all that good stuff uh, as Nikki Muggle One. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Dakota Wegan. Uh, I'm M on Instagram. I think I'm Dakota that Wegan there, as well as Twitter at Dakota that Wegan. Um, you can find me on DeviantArt where I do reviews and just random drawings and stuff. Uh, that is dwdrawings.deviantart.com. So hit me up there. Follow me, please. Please. Somebody please. talk to me. Somebody talk to me. I'm so lonely. <laughs> I'm so lonely. <laughs> the musical edition of Harry Potter the Chamber of Secrets. Um, if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney Two Dose. You can follow me now on New Leap to Instagram T Rooney Ten Twelve. Follow my YouTube page through the Lens Productions, and obviously follow this podcast on SoundCloud.com. Ooh. I hope I hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast on Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Yes, I'm reiterating the subject matter of this podcast because <laughs> what every- was this? This was just like a Harry Potter nerd fest. <laughs> It might as well be. So I hope everyone enjoyed it thus far and listened all the way through. And stay tuned after I sign off right here because the conversation that we actually started the recording on will be at the very end. And it's a little treat about our feelings on filmmaking as in general. Hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Here I hopefully about to start recording. This is a great conversation. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's not it's not pertinent to what we're going to be talking yeah, you about. Could, uh, you could do side clips. Yeah. Side clips. Uh, and it was just saying that, like, <laughs> it was just like saying, uh, like, um, hopefully, hopefully it'll have an international release for it. And I'm like, yeah, I hope so. And hopefully him and I will get a chance to talk about it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm hoping the success of that convinces studios to release more movies like that and then what they used to do is they used to blow up movies from 35 to 70 mil- 70 millimeter like Raiders Empire Die Hard Terminator yeah. 2 things like they are the big blockbuster movies but things that warrant being blown up to it and it is an immersive experience it's something that since movie theaters want to get people out, in the, out of their movie out of their houses the same thing what happened in the 50s when oh we're showing in Cinerama or 3D. Yeah. It's the same situation again that happened 50 years ago. But it's not, though. No. And you know what it is? Like these, like I said, the managers who were projectionists, quote-unquote, um, they're not trained to handle these things. And even um, Gravity, if I'm not mistaken, was supposed to be shown in 70mm, and most theaters could not handle it because they got rid of their equipment. They were like, hey, let's go digital. Like even um, when Gravity came out, I was working at Sunrise Multiplex in Valley Stream. We had all the equipment, and they wouldn't let us carry the movie because they're like, you know what? Nobody over here is film savvy. They're not going to come see this. Like, we're not going to play it. And, uh, so it's one of those things, and people do, will leave their home theaters. Like, I had a, a friend of mine, he went on Christmas to go see him Point Break, uh, Point Break, break. there we go, I can speak, <laughs> swear. Um, he was like, you know, I could have seen Concussion, I could have seen that one, but I wanted to see it in 3D. But the 3D right now is not worth it. You're getting sick from 3D. It's not, you know, there's nothing special. Like, I'd rather see a 70 millimeter film than to see a 3D movie right now. Isn't the push more, besides 3D, that whole, what, 
IMAX. The Hobbit was shown in. Oh, in 48 was. frames per second? I think yeah. that was an experiment that didn't really work yeah, because it, it was... failed miserably. We literally sold three tickets at my theater to that. It was awful. You, everyone was getting sick just from watching the waterfall fall. Yeah, because there's no motion blur and your eyes are... Your eyes are intuitively trained for a certain thing then all of a sudden you're watching a soap opera on the size of a screen that's the size of a bus and you're just like wait this and then you have dynamic camera work and moving so many moving variables yeah. through the frame you're like wait my mind cannot process this and it's like it's like what the worst things of michael bay movie could be not saying the hobbit was close to any of the michael bay movies no. yeah. but i mean just like like what if he released a Transformers movie like that that'd be terrible because even i saw the first Transformers in um like i saw it at the cradle cradle of aviation in their imax and it was really cool the scenes that were actually shot in imax and then it was not really cool the scenes that weren't um but most theaters especially on long island are not set up for real imax they're fake imax and you're paying the money for an imax and you're getting half the experience so um you know it's one of those things you have to be really careful and most like the average moviegoer doesn't realize that yeah, I just realized I work I work right next to Cradle of Aviation, so it's like I could see an IMAX movie right after work if I really wanted to. They stopped showing Hollywood movies though. They did. Yeah. They oh. Stopped doing it. I mean, I don't know if they brought it. I don't know if they brought it back recently, but from what I understand, they stopped it a few years back. Like they don't want to show the Hollywood movies because realistically, the money they would have to spend to show those movies, it, it's just not worth what they're going to get back in returns. That's true. And also, I didn't realize that Lowe's Theater in Stony Brook they're now IMAX Theater. Like, Big That's minutes. what. It's just a bigger screen and more speakers. Island 16X Plus. Island 16's X Plus is another example of a fake IMAX. Um, Thank God I haven't paid any money for that yeah, yet. Don't do it. I actually uh, I saw The Martian, which is funny that you guys were talking about it, but I saw The Martian in the X Plus because I don't have to pay. Uh, to try to get me to pay $26 to go in that theater is impossible. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to go see Fuck a 3D movie that. in the X Plus theater, it's it's. If not exactly 26, very close to it, it's not worth per it. Per person? Per person. Uh, I mean, given recliner seats, I will pay a little bit more Don't for. I love recliner seats, but uh, it's not. And uh, the sound is cool, but sound only goes so far. It's really when you when you do an IMAX, you need that picture. And you're not getting it at Stony Brook. You're not getting it at Island 16. You got to go to the city because at least you're getting like four stories of IMAX. Um, but even then, like, you know, most of these theaters, uh, you don't have to be an official IMAX screen to be able to label yourself as IMAX. And that really fucks up the average moviegoer who literally has no idea that they're paying extra for your bullshit. Hmm. It's like I got. I, I want to see true IMAX, and then I want to see. I want to experience the drive-in. Like I know I did drive-in when I was a really young kid, and that was for the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie. Which one? The fr- with Robert De Niro. Yeah. Being in your car makes a movie more enjoyable. Yes, but our car battery died halfway through the movie. Damn it! Uh, <laughs> uh, I did drive-in with Girl Scouts. Actually, we did drive-in. Um, and we went upstate, and we got to do that, and then me and uh, my other fellow rebel Girl Scout ended up somehow in, like, the Freddy versus Jason section, which was pretty fucking cool, and then we got in trouble, so we weren't allowed to go anywhere else right. the rest of the trip. It's funny, because it's, like, one thing that I have planned for the summer is to buy myself a digital projector, 
mm-hmm. in a screen and ha- host movie nights in my backyard. Oh, God, do it. And like my the first one we're gonna do is gonna be Batman '89, mm-hmm. and and of course Fourth of July weekend it's gonna be Jaws. And I showed you that picture. Somebody had built like a uh, home th- like a movie theater screen next to a pool. And it's just people in tubes watching Joe. And I'm just like, oh, my God, that would be perfect. But I would have to just get off my tube at one point and go underwater and scare the shit out of somebody in the midst of it. Totally. If you can get a local, like, pool to do that. Oh. That would be amazing. It's a whole big moneymaker just to do that event. Because you can literally scare the shit. You mean you have to hire the lifeguards to still be there because you're people in the pool. Yeah. But still, that would be awesome. I'd say it would have to be an outdoor theater because the sound reverberating of the marble next to the pool would probably fucked up everybody. It'd have to be an outdoor theater, uh, outdoor pool. You know what? Yeah. You could do it, though, because uh, I was in South Carolina over the summer, and they did movie nights, and, like, we're in floats in the pool. Um, and, like, that was probably one of the coolest. And we were watching, oh, my God, what's that awful movie with Kevin James where he's, like, the MMA fighter? Oh, I know it's, it's where he's a teacher. Yeah. I know it, but I don't know it. Yeah, exactly. Same same <laughs> here. But we all watched. So, like, and I had saw the post about Jaws. I'm like, that's so cool. Because, so like, we had, like, our beers in our hand. We're in these, like, inner tubes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, they didn't actually have any lifeguards. They it was like <laughs> that's float, not, that's... It was a float at your own risk kind of thing. But uh, the Jaws one that I saw online was, like, in a pond. So you could do it, yeah, man. Uh, Q1, um, uh, yes. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, password is in, uh, uh, I should connect to you because I connected you for a moment. All right. There we go. Okay, cool. Um, right, Kevin James. Kevin James. Kevin James. Former heavyweight, cha- former heavyweight wrestler at his school in Warren Wellville. He's Good. Melville? Yep. Stony Brook. Oh, my God. Yeah, him and Mick Foley were on the wrestling team. Mick Foley, WWE champion. And for those listening, it is called Here Comes the Boom. Thank you. Here Comes the Boom! Ready or not! Sorry, folks. That's exactly the song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I hope everybody's enjoyed this kind of film topics thing that's going to probably be in the tag end of this uh, Harry Potter podcast. We totally, we totally didn't hit record when Nikki was talking about sixteen-year-old tits, yeah, I know. And then they would just then they, they would have perked up everybody. Everybody would have at least said, "Perked up everybody." Ah, 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 son of a. Bitch.